What's up, LL Nation? Well, this day has come, and it's almost gone. And the news we were hoping to get today, we did not get. This is the Lucky Lefty Podcast. I am Sean Davis. Well, my guy, the original Lucky Lefty himself, Malik Zaire. This is the wrap-up show. You say wrap-up for what? This is the wrap-up show of the Notre Dame missing out on the college football playoff, but they will be in a New Year's Six Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl. Notre Dame, the last four times they've gone to the Fiesta Bowl, hasn't hasn't gone too well. Matter of fact, 0-7 in big-time bowl games. All right, in the last seven. That's, that's, that's just not good. Marcus Freeman and the Fighting Irish were getting the opportunity to right that wrong against Oklahoma State. Now, we'll get into that. We'll break that down. Uh, our big bros in the podcast game, Brian Driscoll, he's going to join us in about 15 minutes because I'm sure there's a lot he has to say. And um, I know I disagree with him on some things, and I know him and Malik on the same page of certain things so i can't wait for them to join because this is going to be a really good discussion but bro we have the four what are your thoughts i think it's gearing up for another rematch between alabama and georgia it's the reason why they put them at one and three instead of one and four mm-hmm. uh I'm expecting the the outcome to to be the same, man. I'm expecting to see a a rematch. Uh, Hopefully, Georgia can turn around and be 1-4 instead of 0-5 versus Nick Saban. Uh, Kirby Smart has the team to do it this year, even though they look real pedestrian. I do think that Georgia still has a a defense that's special enough to get it it done. But the one weakness that we know Georgia had was their quarterback, and it just showed that he's just not a he's not a franchise quarterback. Let's put it like that. So, well, what do we always say? You either need an NFL franchise quarterback or an elite college quarterback. That's and to he, beat Nick Saban. Like you got to still play offense. Yeah, and Nick Saban's defense is still Nick Saban's defense. So if you're not at that level, it'll be exposed like it was. And you know, I think he just did as best as he could. Honestly, I don't think he's going to give a better performance than that. But I do think the defense can 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 do a better performance, holding Bryce Young better than his near perfect game that he had. Um, that'll even out the playing field, and hopefully it'll just come down to Bryce in a two minute drill instead of him up two or three touchdowns. Yeah, moving forward, coming out of that game, dominant win by Alabama. Uh, Coach Saban was. Uh, can I say this, man? I'm just go ahead and admit it. Nick Saban cold as hell, dog. He a cold man. That dude a cold ass. He a cold dude. That dude cold. He's he is literally Belichickian. You know what I'm saying from a college football standpoint. Like I heard, man, Roman Harper kind of leaked it on the SEC Network that he gave this all time speech to his team on Thursday. That kind of just got everybody fired up. And then the game plan, like Georgia had never seen up-tempo with that talent all year. And you and I can talk about it. And when Brian Driscoll is going to come in, we'll talk about it. Kirby Smart 
just and his coaching staff just didn't make any adjustments at all. They just thought they were going to walk in to the Mercedes Benz Superdome and just just do what they've been doing all year. And I don't know how they thought they were going to do that offensively. It's like, but let me ask you a question. Bowers, if you had to choose, Bowers or Mayer? That's tough, bro. I think Bow Bowser's more physical. Really? I think he's gonna be more entertaining than what Mayor would be. If I was looking at it from an NFL prospect standpoint, I might take I might slightly take Bowers. I would take Bauer only because he would have a more I gotta get my eyes on him. Michael Mayer, you can hide. He'll hide out throughout a game. Maybe not be his fault, but Bowser, every time he catches the ball, is a, is some type of exciting or huge play, and he's making it look real easy. Yeah, I saw that dude run over four Bama players. Dude, yeah, like, come on, this dude was this dude was playing out of his mind. Like Bama, that was the only thing that Bama couldn't do, and that would stop him. And you know, Georgia, it just listen. Nick Saban is playing his protégés, right? So it's their defense is damn near so similar. I don't think there's much adjustments to make that Nick Saban wasn't ready for. You know what I mean? And, yeah, facts. And it's just one of those things that Georgia's good against everybody, but Alabama kind of got you, got you, got your playbook in a sense, and they know what you want to do. It's hard for Georgia to surprise Alabama you know, different than a lot of other teams, you know, and then even Tennessee, Tennessee gave Georgia a lot of problems with that up tempo offense. They just didn't have the same amount of talent. So it's one of those things where Georgia has the ability to beat them, but they just, they don't have the quarterback. And it, that was just the defining factor in the game. Both defenses got tons of talent, tons of ability, but the quarterbacks made the literal difference. Um, even offensive line, you know, obviously that I think all of that cancels each other out, and it just look waters down to their quarterback is a walk on, and Bryce is a five star, and in those moments, the five star usually is going to play better. So, with that being said, like the seating, you you cool with the way everything was seated? Did you think Cincinnati has done enough to get up there to the three, or do you think them being at four was fair? And Georgia being blown out, a lot of people will get to it because I know a lot of Notre Dame fans felt like, yo, they want to Notre Dame out after they got blown out in the ACC championship game. Georgia should get the same consideration and, you know, put Notre Dame up against Georgia. And, you know, Notre Dame possibly should get in. I don't know how you feel about that, but, you know, I tried telling people last night and pretty much all day, like, look, Notre Dame's not a better team than Georgia. Like, and I'm a Notre Dame fan. That's not the game I want Marcus Freeman to try to go out the season on. And it's not to say that they wouldn't have a chance to beat Georgia. That's just not the – that's just – no. That's just not – no. Now, I know Brian – when Brian comes on, he thinks – when Brian comes on, he definitely thinks that Georgia – that Notre Dame is better than Georgia. So I'll be interested in seeing you two discuss that matter. We just look. I don't even think. All right, look. I don't know where 
Cause, cause the Cook brother, he's just as good as Kyron. You know, I think we put more on Kyron than they do on him, but we don't have a George Pickens. We don't have and your, your boy didn't look right, in my opinion. Who I think he's at about eighty five percent. Yeah, but that's just an example. He's not even healthy, but we don't have yeah. a him. You know, Kevin Austin is not him. Kevin Austin is Kevin Austin, but right. You know, it's levels to it. And then I don't know. You have to think who on Notre Dame's offense would start on Georgia's offense? We're just talking about skill positions. Skills positions. Skill positions. I don't know. I'm Kevin Austin will start. And Kyrie Kevin Austin. Okay. It depends, it depends on what they're trying to do. You know, we feature Kyron. They don't really feature they they feature all type of different players at Georgia. So you know well, they have three running backs. They literally work three running backs. Yeah, so you know, I do think that we wouldn't get blown out. No. But I don't know if we would we don't have a Alabama offense either. Alabama got them plays, and they got, man, receivers for days that are NFL guys. I think we got a lot of good college receivers. You know, Michael Mayer's got some talent. But we don't have no John Michi or the receiver from Ohio State necessarily, you know, in that way. But Bryce Young is hot right now, man. I mean, he's been giving us moment after moment. Making it look super easy out there. So that's just a different breed. But in terms of just us versus Georgia, man, I do think that that's just not the game I want Marcus Freeman going out with this season. I think he's at all. Oklahoma State is an easy dub to to get hyped for the next season. When you say an easy dub, but you mean like 10 points, you're not talking like blowout. I mean, that's still a very – respectful defense that they have i'm not spencer spencer sanders doesn't bother spencer, me at all he threw four interceptions last game didn't you yeah and and baylor aranda and baylor what they did is very similar to what marcus freeman likes to do on defense yeah i think that uh we're a good matchup for this oklahoma state team and think about us as different from big 12 teams is that we don't we don't do the whole turn the ball over a bunch of times in the game. Like we're not exchanging turnovers like that to where the games be fifty-eight to fifty-eight. You know, I think for us, yeah, we'll have enough of the run game to where it'll be uh, a game that we can control. And when you can control the game against Big Twelve teams, you you do what you want against them. Yeah, we'll get to some comments as we said before. Brian Driscoll from the Irish Breakdown. Going to be joining us in like three minutes. Look, this is something that I told people yesterday because I saw a rush to judgment on Georgia. Everybody was calling Georgia overrated. And I said, Man, there are two teams. Yeah, two teams in this nation. Yeah, can do that to each other. They can do that to Georgia. And it's like, calm down. If you're not walking in the building with those two receivers that are first round receivers or second round receivers and Bryce Young, stop. Stop. I mean, they, they got a lot. They just got a, I don't know. It's just, you know, 
those two teams are the best two teams right now. That's just what it is. Yeah. Now, each other, that's an evaluation amongst them. It ain't an evaluation where we feel like just not right now. Now, next year, I'll put us in there. I think we'll have enough of preparedness from uh, the new head coach of Marcus Freeman to get us ready for an Ohio State to to kick off the, the, the season the right way. And I think we'll be ready for that game. I just think that Georgia, if let's just say we do, if we had to play Georgia, is Jack Cohn going to quarterback his way the whole game? I just don't know about the whole game. I think we'll have moments and spurts, but not enough to be like Bryce Young. Yeah. yeah. Not enough. But next year, I think the defense is going to be older. They're going to be stronger. They're going to be – we're a defensive-led team. This would be interesting to see us defensively led. I feel like with Marcus Freeman being the head coach, and now the offense has less pressure to to be on center stage. We more of we're, we're like the Baltimore of the 2000s, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, until we get a, a Lamar Jackson or something. Lucky Lefty Podcast, Sean Davis, Malik Zaire. We spin it different. We're about to have a special guest, Brian Driscoll from Irish Breakdown, in a few seconds. Let's go ahead and get a couple of comments in, right? Uh, let's see. Jamie McNeil, shout out to you. For always supporting, man. Don't forget, subscribe, share, like, hit the notification bell. Coleman Smith, Malik is just a realist. If y'all think we're beating Georgia Bama right now, it's delusional. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm the biggest Notre Dame fan ever. I get it. I just I just don't see it for four quarters. Yeah. You know, seeing Really good spurts. We can hang in there with the best. I don't think they will blow us out, but I don't think it's something to where we – I will put my money on. I don't think regular thinking people, non-biased people, will put their money on Notre Dame necessarily. Mm-hmm. But we would give them a good game. I think we would give Michigan – I think we will put the foots on them and we would put the foots on Cincinnati if we had to play them again. So uh, I think we'll be – at least second or third or something. <laughs> Man, I'm gonna keep it a buck with you. I'm gonna keep it a buck with you. I really think I've come to appreciate Michigan in the last three weeks. You know why? I appreciate any team that goes out there and they don't try to be fake. They don't try to do anything outside of who they are. They just don't. They are who they are. I think Notre Dame will match up with them head-to-head if they play. Notre Dame on a neutral field probably wins. I don't think they have the weapons outside or the quarterback to challenge Georgia the same way Alabama did. But that's why you have to take the field. Yeah. But kudos to them. Kudos to them, man. They beat Ohio State. That was the road bump they had to get over. They got over it. You tip your cap. You know, I would have loved to see Iowa and Kurt Ferentz come up with the upset for multiple reasons. You know, your boys, the boys you 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 cop for. You know what I mean? You sitting up here getting on me for copping for Michigan. You've been copping for Iowa all season. And what did they do? I told what did you they do when we needed them the most? What did they do? 
They were good. They're good enough to make the Big Ten championship. I wasn't wrong about them being good. Oh, shout out. We have to admit, bro, right, to all of LL Nation, everybody, we were wrong. We were wrong about Georgia. We were wrong. We really thought Kirby was ready with the squad he has. Yeah, he don't have to go ahead and and overcome Nick Saban. And as I said, the one thing I learned is that that cat Nick Saban is a dude when it comes to college coaching. He is Belichickian. He knows the buttons to push. He's just not some dude just throwing the balls out at practice. He is everything you want to be when you're an elite college football coach. And that cat Bryce Young is is a number one pick, period. Next year, not this year, but next year he'll be shaking Rogers' hand. Yeah, he'll definitely be shaking Rogers' hand. Yeah, nice little suit. Well, I don't know what team. Hopefully, I, I pray he doesn't go to Detroit. That's what I pray. Oh, man. Anywhere but Detroit. <laughs> he can go revolutionize any other city but Detroit. So I'm excited about this because we're about. I know we're about to get into some really, really good banter and debate right here. Let me set this up. Because we're about to bring my guy Brian Driscoll on from the Irish Breakdown. You can follow him at Coach D178. And uh, I, I'm just about to play instigator right quick. Is that, is that all right, bro? Is it cool right. about instigator? And you can't bring me on and immediately have me starting fights and stuff. Come on, no, no, man. No, 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 no. You said yeah, some fights. Yeah. We're about to start some fights. I'm about to yeah. sit back and watch you and Malik because the people really want to see you and Malik. I'm about to sit back and watch you and Malik go 12 rounds in this heavyweight bout. This is, this so is about to be really good. So, Malik. Should I go get my bathrobe or before we start? Or? Oh, he's on his new chain. In honor of you, he's doing his ghost face killer. You okay. didn't pick up on it? Okay. No, I did not. I no, did not. I asked him about it before we started. I was like, okay, the only thing you're missing is the, the eagle around your neck. That's like right. Ghost face. I said, Brian loves Wu-Tang, so. All right, here we go. Let's do thank it. For, first of all, thank you for joining us, my friend. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate coming, it. Man. Thank you for coming. So, uh, Brian is of the mindset that uh, Notre Dame is a better team than Georgia. Did not quite say that. I said <laughs> okay. I think Notre Dame I think Notre Dame can beat Georgia. Okay. I think right now Notre Dame is a team that matches up well with Georgia cuz that's what it's all about, right? It's about matchups. Matchup. Absolutely. You know, it's like Ohio State beats Michigan State by 49. Michigan State beats Michigan. Michigan beats Ohio State convincing. It's about matchups, yeah. right? And, I, and I've and i said all year, all year, Sean, you know this. The one thing I've said about Georgia, if they play a team that can throw the football, they're in trouble because they don't, they don't, they can't, they're, they're not creating a secondary. Nobody they've played up to this point in time could expose the fact they don't have Eric Stokes. They don't have Tyson Campbell. Their safeties are more hitters. They don't have great pass rushers because the thing is, the last five games, they haven't had Anderson. He's been out because of the rape thing. Right. So that was their one dynamic pass rusher. And Tennessee was the one team that had a chance. 
But yeah. then they lost. They had like three of their four best receivers were at two were out to start the game. Another one got hurt early on when Tennessee was actually moving the ball. I just I look at this Georgia team and I remember I remember watching them in seventeen, and I remember watching their linebackers and watching Roquan. I'm like these guys can they can fly. I don't feel that about their linebackers now outside of maybe Nicobe Dean, but even he's more of a traditional inside linebacker. I just look at it and I say, who on that defense is checking Michael Mayer? Who on that defense is checking Kyron Williams out of the backfield? If it's if it's a if it's last year's Notre Dame team, it's, it's a wrap. It's it's Georgia because it, they're good enough up front to neutralize Notre Dame's run game. But I just look at the skill and I say, I don't like that skill matchup for Georgia. Now the other part too is, I'm not afraid of a team that has Stetson Bennett starting a quarterback. <laughs> No, I agree. No, That's I the agree. other part of it. No, I agree. I don't think they will rely on Stetson like they did against Alabama. Mm-hmm. I think they could run the ball. I think that's something we would have to worry more about it than Alabama would. I think they would try to run us out of the game. Like they said, he only threw, what, 12 passes in the fourth quarter. I think that would be something similar. He wouldn't throw that much in the fourth quarter versus us. I think it would be a low-scoring game. However, I don't trust Jack Cohen against that defense either. I'm not saying that they're, you know, they're obviously their, their secondary got exposed, but am I trusting Jack Cohen to be throwing like Bryce Young throughout the entire game, even though the secondary is what it is? I don't know, because I think that Tommy has been more of a traditional balanced style of offense, and I do think the running game will suffer a lot more than it would in usual games. So it would have to have Jack pulling it out for us, which, you know, I love Jack, and I think he's better than Stetson, but uh, just doing it for four quarters, I just don't see it right now. Maybe if Tyler Buckner were to play the whole year and we could have that element of Tyler using his legs as well as him being able to pass just enough, I think we would have a better shot, but I don't I don't think his development has been uh, where they could have had it at this point in the year. I've been having this problem with my mic. I got to get a new mic. I hit the unmute (laughs) button and it won't flip. I've done this like 12 times this week. Um, He says, is he Bryce Young? No, not even close. But the difference is, number one, Notre Dame has a better defense than Alabama. Now, the run game would concern me a little bit more against Notre Dame than Bama, even though Notre Dame's got a better defense. Because one thing about Bama is they're big up front. Yeah, they just so they're not it. as vulnerable to Georgia's size. Notre Dame would have to out athlete them up front, right? Exactly. So that's a that's a concern. But I think Notre Dame's in a really good run defense this year, except when they play teams that have a really mobile quarterback, right? You take Sam Howell out of North Carolina's offense, they're not running the ball on North, on Notre Dame, right? Same thing with Virginia Tech. And and Stetson Bennett's not that. He Stetson Bennett to me as an athlete is more like Ian Book. If the play breaks down, he can then go run. Ian Book was not a runner. Ian yeah. Book was a scrambler in the pass game, and that's kind of how Stetson is. And so, you know, that's obviously – but I think Notre Dame can shut that down. I, I don't think their matchups – I mean, because, again, we're we're talking about in a playoff game, right? In a playoff game, 14 is playing safety. Yeah, right? I like that matchup right. of 14 against Brock Bowers. You know, um, I, George Pickens is back, but he's not vintage, healthy, 100% and playing a whole season – George Pickens, right? Yeah. So we're dealing with the reality of who George is right now. And the reason I say it doesn't matter that Jack's not Bryce Young because Notre Dame doesn't have to score 41 points to beat Georgia. 
And and let's be honest, Bam, Bam, if Bama wanted to, they're putting another one on the board in that game, right? Oh, in my yeah, opinion. They to. So I mean, so I think you're right, Malik. I think it's a low scoring game, but the way I look at it is if you get into the fourth quarter and it's a close game, am I going with Jack or am I going with Stetson Bennett? I'm going with Jack. I, I mean, because because a couple reasons. Number one, he's better than Stetson Bennett. Number two, Notre Dame has better athletes than George. And I know a lot of people are going to flip out on that and 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 lose their minds. But if you go look at Notre Dame's athletes at receiver and tight end, because, look, there aren't a lot of teams that can match George at tight end. Notre Dame can. Right? Yeah, we can at least match the tight end. Yeah, and then you look That's at like Kevin cool. Austin, Braden Lindsey, Lorenzo Styles. Even with the injuries, you know, look, Kevin Austin's been playing really good football down the stretch. You know, Braden mm-hmm. Lindsey's finally comfortable. Chris Tyree's finally comfortable. The way that Notre Dame uses Kyron Williams in the pass game, I would love to to because what I think Tommy's done a much better job of the last five games is creating isolations. Yeah. And, and, and and scheming guys open. Malik, you know this. Something you and I have complained about in the past. It's Notre Dame's pass offense was basically just a bunch of one-on-one horizontal stretch, and my dudes are better than your dudes. Basically. You're throwing post routes to Will Fuller because they can't cover him. It, you didn't scheme Will Fuller open. It's just yeah. they can't cover him. And that's what I loved about what Sark did last year at Alabama, and, and Bill O'Brien to a degree is doing that this year too, is – it's fine to have great players, but if you can also scheme them open, we've seen that. I mean, the first two plays of the last two games, you know, you look at the first play against Georgia Tech, you know, they run a backside corner, deep corner with Braden. They have Mayer run a slide, so they take that, and then they just bring Kevin on a backside deep drag route. We never saw stuff like that from Notre Dame. He's wide yeah, we open. never saw stuff like that. Yeah. Never until the last four or five games, and so – we saw Georgia struggled with that. I mean, there was times, man, they were like Jamison Williams is a great player, right? Don't get me wrong. This is not this is not to say he's not good, but I could catch a ball where there's no one else on the television screen and gain 12 yards. <laughs> yeah, it was you, nobody. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, they just weren't even like they were just and because they've never faced speed like that. Right. And I don't think Notre Dame is quite as I mean. I'll say, well, I'll say it. I think Notre Dame's faster than George is, right? And I don't think they're quite as fast as Alabama's one, two, Williams and Mechie. But I think Notre Dame's receivers are faster, as fast or faster than Georgia's secondary, in my opinion. But do we play as fast or play with that tempo that you're talking about? Because I do think there's talented players, but the pace in which we play our games is not of a level to where – we're playing like Alabama where we got Georgia on their toes. Even the game a couple years ago, it was something of a methodical effort yeah. to get down two tight ends. I mean, we're beating down the doors, long drives. We're trying to play their game. We're trying to we're play, trying to we're play trying to match play. their game. Yeah. We're not a we're not gonna like even when I feel like this with Clemson, we wasn't outpacing Clemson in just the style of how they played mm-hmm. in that playoff game. We just wasn't on the same right. speed of of pace. So yeah, we had similar talented players but we don't use our players like georgia uses their receivers i think george pickens is a threat uh even not healthy just because there has to be some attention on him but you got you got guys all over catching little bubbles and catching these little routes that they're turning into things i think that's something georgia would present a challenge to us is tackling in space i love the fact that we can we can hold up on defense, but tackling in space would add up as the quarters are going on because I think we're famous just because of how we play sometimes. Is that if we we're a momentum offense, if we're 
cooking, we're cooking and we're looking like the best. But there's a lot of times within games where we're hitting three and outs at the worst time. Sure. And those are the things where I think Georgia, with their running game, presenting some trouble. Like we said, it's a low scoring game, but in a, in a, I think it could be also uh, lopsided in us kind of panicking towards the end, mm-hmm. trying to catch up with some points, being in a 10 point lead at some point. Right. For me, Malik, this is the question that I would ask you. And I don't know the answer. I know what I think. The last two times Notre Dame played Georgia, I felt like Georgia had the better quarterback. Jake yeah. Fromm versus Brandon Wimbush. Again, Brandon making his second career start. You know, Jake Fromm was only a freshman, but Jake was a more advanced player than Brandon was because uh, Jake didn't have to go through two years of, of playing for Mike Sanford. So that helped him out a lot. And then, and, and then, and then uh, two years later, it's Ian Booker, Jake Fromm, right? And I think both times Georgia had a better quarterback, which yeah. is why both times Georgia made plays in the fourth quarter. And Notre, I mean, Notre Dame had a lead in the fourth quarter, both games. Oh, and yeah. the difference for the other difference for me is I don't think Georgia has the athletes on the perimeter. When I look at Georgia's offense, I don't, you know, Lad McConkey doesn't scare me. Right. And, yeah, and, and Jermaine too much. I like, Jermaine. yeah, no, I right. Cause like- Kyrus hasn't been healthy all year. Pickens hasn't been healthy all year. Darnell Washington hasn't been healthy all year. The number two tight end, like they're just, they're not the team they would have been. And now again, if we're talking about what Georgia would have been, if everybody's healthy, we'd be having a conversation, but then I would say, okay, well, what about if Notre Dame also has Avery Davis and, you know, you get into that conversation. But when I look at Notre Dame, you talk about the tempo Malik and you talk about the game two years ago and all that's true. If you just talk about the Cincinnati game, I'm like, no, they're not beating them. They're they're not beating them. But when I look at what Notre Dame has done the last five games and, 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 the other thing, too, is what we're seeing from Notre Dame tempo-wise, Malik, in my view, is we're still seeing them grow into what they're trying to become post-break. Now you give them a couple weeks to self-scout and then 15 practice to continue to enhance. That's the re- that's part of the reason I feel it, too, is I'm much more confident with Brian Kelly. This is going to sound like sour grapes, but anyone that's listening to me knows that I've been saying this for years. Uh, with Brian Kelly not in the way, I'm much more optimistic that this team is going to show up with the energy, that's going to have the passion, that's going to play with the tempo that we've often seen Brian Kelly pull the reins back on. So yeah. those are the things to me that, you know, you've played Georgia close twice and you tried to match them, their style for, you know, you tried yeah. to play the same style they did. And they were just as big, if not bigger than you. They were just as strong, if not stronger than you, not in 2017, but in 2019. And you didn't have a quarterback that could make them pay. I think Notre Dame has a quarterback that can make them pay. And I think the weapons that Notre Dame has in this game are significantly better than the weapons they had in 2017 in that matchup. I mean, you had Cam Smith, Freddie Canteen. I mean, I said this before. Chris Fink, Freddie Canteen, and, and uh, Cam Smith combined for over 100 snaps in that game. Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool combined for 12. Yeah, right. Like, and you still almost beat them. Yeah, true. you're banging, you're banging throws to Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsey and Lorenzo Styles and Michael Mayer and even George Tack is now and Kyron out of the backfield, Tyree out of the backfield. I just feel like this is a this, and this is the team that the Notre Dame should have been all freaking season, and that's oh, that's yeah. my continued frustration. If they're now going into game thirteen of this offense, I don't think we're even having a debate right now, in my opinion. Well, number yeah. one, because we're well, we are having the debate because we're talking about so how does number one Notre Dame match up against number four Georgia? That's the conversation yeah. we're having right now. Okay, that's wow. that's. Yeah, I uh, guess Notre Dame would have been up for the number one spot because they'd have beat Cincinnati. They'd yeah, be the only undefeated. Te- they'd be the only undefeated team. Yeah, 
Yeah, Lucky Lucky Podcast. Uh, special guest Brian Driscoll from Irish Breakdown at Coach D178. The original Lucky Lefty himself, Malik Zaire, is right there. Now, Malik, that's the Georgia Notre Dame argument. The other yeah. debate we got into, which he kind of teased, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, we differed on who had the better wide receivers, Alabama or Notre Dame. No, we differ. I think we differ. See, this? look at you. We, oh, differ, oh, we differ need on the gap. I need what, what we differ on is the gap. And I said no, Alabama had a deeper receiving core. Yeah, but we were arguing depth, but in two different manners. Okay. You were arguing depth from like they have two X's and three Z's and four W's. I'm arguing depth from a weapon standpoint. And when I'm talking about the pass game, I'm talking about the receivers, Kyron Williams, Michael Mayer. That's where we were kind of not on the same page. Because to me, if we're just arguing like offseason has the better roster, it's a it's one conversation. So we're just comparing Alabama's eight scholarship receivers versus Notre Dame's five. Right. Right. What I'm talking about is a matchup that you would have on next Saturday, and you're not playing your fifth string W ranked number seven in the country, right, coming out of high school. We're talking about who are they going to be playing on Saturday. And my point was is if you just took Notre Dame's receivers against Alabama's receivers, it's Alabama's receivers. I mean, Notre Dame doesn't have a Jamison Williams, right? John Mechie's a really good player. But, yeah. but you know, to me, Slade Bolden, I'll take Lorenzo Styles and Brady like over, 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 over Slade Bolden, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then you have to factor in, you know, the tight end, you know, what Kyron Williams does in the past game, now that Chris Tyree's healthy. Because the thing I noticed in the Stanford game, and, I, and I'm curious if you guys caught this, Braden and Chris finally looked both healthy. And the juice they both had on – and Malik, you've been on that field. It's hard to look fast on that field. I've seen one Notre Dame – two Notre Dame players look fast on that field. CJ on that kick return Will in Fuller, 2015 yeah. and Will Fuller. On that go route, he looked so fast. That is it. I mean, and I also remember Deshaun threw that ball – and I don't know if you saw this, Malik, because you're on the sideline, right? Or were you there? He threw it with him, and it was like perfect. The, the corner was when he when he went like this. The corner was two yards in front of Will, and, it and was by just, the time the ball got there, Will had passed him. It <laughs> like that, like, it was, just a drag it was, it a was drag ridiculous. Only yeah. two Notre Dame players I've ever seen look fast on that field because it is, and you can't cut. No, and to see those two guys with the juice, I just think, and this was this is why I was. I was hoping that they'd get in a playoff because I think this team is hitting its peak now because Brian Kelly finally got out of the way and said, I'm not going to pretend like I still have Chase Claypool and Miles Boykin at receiver, and, and I'm not going to pretend like I still have Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey and Ronnie Stanley on offensive line, and we're going to play to the talent we have. And what Notre Dame has on offense that Brian Kelly did not allow the world to see until November is speed, it's speed. in my opinion. And yeah. that, that's what's been holding us. That's the difference between how we go into these big games is he held us back in that Clemson game with us, with us showing that we had speed. Well, hold on a second. Notre Dame didn't have speed in that game. They only had Miles Boykin and, and, and uh, Chase Claypool. They only ran four four twos of the combine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at six four two hundred twenty pounds. I mean, is and that, is that fast or something? It is crazy because it shocked everybody that watched it because we like, you're that fast? And that's right. the problem. That's the problem. Right. But I do feel very sorry for the next team that comes out versus this Notre Dame team because of that weight is lifted off. I feel like we will see the speed from these guys on another level. One, from motivation, and two, 
the fact that I feel like Tommy feels in full control of the offense for the first time since he's even been there playing. You know, yeah. he's not going to be second guessing his calls or being uh, micromanaged on what he on what they really want because he is the guy leading it. And I think that's a very good position for him to be in with the defense should be in the forefront and, and leading his team, which is a good switch up after the 12 years of offense sort of leading that forefront. That's the thing I think that, that frustrates me the most of the last eight, nine years is I feel like Notre Dame has got this misconception about the lack of explosiveness on offense. When in reality, Notre Dame's always had the explosiveness. It's just, they never had an offense that allowed them to thrive. And even Will in 2015, I like I remember in 2014, y'all were running like tunnels to him. I remember him catching that one against Syracuse. He had one against Northwestern. And then 2015, that's gone. Yeah. It's just go routes and post routes and, and cross routes. It's like that's all they ran with him. And it's like, you know, it was never scheming him open. It was just I'm faster than Dory Jackson and we're running a post route and you can't cover me. And yeah, they had and the best offensive line in college football and Deshaun always had time to throw, right? I mean – it was even when, when you know, like with you, it's like you hit him on a, a, a deep end cut and a couple a, go, a couple goal routes, right? Where he just ran by dudes. I mean, that was yeah, it. And it was, then same thing so, as Virginia. It was just a straight go. It's just I'm gonna throw it as far as I can throw it, and you can't run with him. Imagine yeah, if they were designing to get him drags and crossers and doing the things like Bama did with Devontae Smith. Imagine the numbers oh, Will would put up then. Right. You know, like the the tunnel screens like we saw in 2015, and you know, I mean, and, and like. If you think about how Chip Long would have used Will and you look at how he used Braden Lindsay in 2019, I mean, why weren't they doing that stuff with him? And that's the frustrating thing. It's just, as I feel like ever since 2012, Brian Kelly's been trying to show the NFL that I have an NFL scheme, right? Yeah, and, and it was and he, it, it, broke, don't fix it mentality. Right. I mean, if CJ right. can run to the right 50 times and pick up at least five yards, that's what we're running with. And it became so monotonous to the point where we wasn't looking to expand if we could just keep running go routes. Mm -hmm. So once we got in that rut, promising a championship against teams that can cover those simple things, a lot of times in the 2018, 2019 season, even 2017, it felt like, all right, after we ran out of those 10 plays, we were just flopping around like a flounder. We had nothing else to, mm -hmm. to show the defense. So I think this – Moving forward with Tommy being in full control and at least having a, the, the ability to make these guys uh, play to their capabilities and coach to the players that we have instead of uh, using that old method, methodology. This is a this is that inspiration that we talked about. This is being an actual feel like we can compete at that level for championships mm -hmm. instead of just flirting with it. Right. And now you're going to be in a situation where you have a head coach and a, and a staff, hopefully, that has the ability to go out and recruit even more dynamic players. And that's going to be the big thing is not only have they wasted some of the talent that they've had, in my opinion, this isn't new. This isn't me now going after BK that he's gone. This has been what I've been complaining about for years. It's use your players, build your system around what they do, and then recruit to the system you want to run. It's like BK always wanted to run this pro-style drop-back system, but kept recruiting athletic quarterbacks and then wouldn't make the changes necessary to say, let's do both. Yeah, Let's build around them. And and Tom, the reason Tommy loves Tyler so much, from what I'm told talking to sources, is Tommy understands you've got to have a quarterback that can throw the football. But you also have to have a quarterback that can beat you with his legs. And now in Tyler, you have a kid that can sit in a pocket, 
that can pick people apart, that can make those kind of plays, but you also have a guy that can be dynamic. And then then you put the speed around him. And and you know, that's what's been so fun. And I know they haven't played good teams down the stretch. I'm not acting like North, you know, these North Carolina and Georgia Tech and Stanford or Georgia, right? But it's about does that translate to those games? Can that skill translate to those games? And I, I believe it can. And that's why, you know, that's why I, I like the matchup. I think that Notre Dame can neutralize. We talk about the Georgia game. They, they have the speed to neutralize the fact that I think Georgia would punish Notre Dame in the trenches. Notre Dame, and that's what Bama did. Bama didn't even try to make it a, a, a no, scrimmage game. They made it a perimeter game. And then when, when Georgia was forced to spread out, that's when Bama came back with the runs. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's kind of what I thought. That's what I liked about that Bama game plan. It's what I've been saying all year, Sean, reverse engineer your offense. If you know you don't have a great offensive line, reverse engineer your offense. Build around the run and then use the – I mean, excuse me, build around the pass. And then once teams have to start guarding that, start running the ball on them. Yeah, and, and I was Notre Dame has done that. They've been successful. I was disappointed in Kirby Smart because he allowed Bryce Young and that offense to feel like they won a 7-7 seven seven tournament. That's because he's not a he's not a big-time coach. He's a big-time recruiter and a good motivator. He's He's – the Southern, you know, it's kind of, I joke about it. You know, he, you can compare him to Brian Kelly. I think he's comp- compares more favorably to James Franklin. So really, was that his voice? Franklin, you know what I mean? Like, cause, cause, well, I mean, it's like, he's more of a personality type to James Franklin. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? He's got more, you know, he can motivate and all that kind of stuff, but he's just not a good game day coach. And that, you know, Brian Kelly's not a bad game day coach. He's just not a great game day coach. Yeah, Brian Kelly a- doesn't motivate during the week. That's my issue with Brian Kelly. And yeah. that's why I think James Franklin's, James Franklin is from a style of coaching standpoint as more of a fit, but you know you don't want to get James Franklin in a in a fourth quarter situation where he's got to make a good decision. And the same thing with Kirby because Bama's coaching staff they were coaching circles around George on Saturday. Absolutely, absolutely. It's so amazing. I saw they had actually had Kirby and Coach Saban on the set at the same time mm-hmm. for game day, and they asked Kirby Smart. They asked both of them what was the key to the game. And Kirby Smart's answer was, well, this game is, is about us. It's not about anybody else. It's about us and us doing what we have to do. And at that moment, I start to say, you know what? I don't think he gets it. It's a I, rabbit. I, just, yeah, I don't think he gets it. Like, yeah, no. this is not – no, this is not about you. Like, <laughs> the team you can't beat is Alabama. It is all about beating Alabama. Beat Alabama. If the team yeah. doesn't know that, you if know, the team thinks it's just about them, this is this is why I love Dabo, right? And, and this this is what I love about Dabo mm-hmm. is what what I should say. Yeah, Dab. Nobody plays the nobody respects us. We have something to prove card better than Dabo. They could win thirty seven straight games, and Dabo's like, I can't believe Virginia's coaches aren't respecting us. <laughs> nobody thinks we can beat the Cavaliers. You know what I mean? Like, that's how Dabo is, and it's like it's always we're the number one seed, but they don't think we can beat so and so. I mean. It was that. It was not. It's about us. It was. It was put that target right on Alabama's back, right? It's no one thinks we can beat Bam and Jer- Kirby's out there. He still thinks he's in Tuscaloosa, man. That's yeah. he yeah. runs the same defense they ran in 2012. I mean, it's like he it's tries tough. to recruit big boy power football. It's like give me a quarterback that's not going to make mistakes. He's like part Brian Kelly, part James Franklin, and part <clears> one to <throat> be Nick Saban, and that's why he recruits great players, but why he wins is zero. The only big games he's ever won in his career is what? He beat Brian Kelly a couple times and Gus Malzahn, right? I mean. Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley, who also has never won a big game. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean. Most of the big games they lose in the Alabama, you know, that's the that's the big right. game. 
and they've them. choked away two games against Bama because of late oh, game. and not fake. But I still will never, I still never get over that that punt safe call they made where they were beating Bama and he puts Justin Fields in the game. Bama's in punt safe and he still runs the fake punt. You know, I mean, you know, losing that game in the second that's half. Cool. I mean, just no adjustment to Tua being in the game. They just had yeah. no adjustment to Tua being in the game. And that's the thing right there is they they are they are very slow to adjust at Georgia. It just they haven't been exposed this season because the East is bad. Yeah. I mean, when people are hanging their hats on maybe Tennessee's the team that can give them a run, that's a problem. They lost a flipping pit. You know, I mean, got you know, I mean, they're not a good team, right? I mean, it, it's not a good situation. So they're they just never got tested, and, and that's the difference between like what Dabo was and Kirby was. Like Dabo, when they were playing in the ACC and nobody was good. Dabo would find things to piss him off and yeah. to make him feel disrespected. You know, the Roy's, you know, we're on the Roy bus, right? Yeah. Where Kirby's like, we're Bama. Let's act like Bama. No, you can't act like Bama until you beat Bama. Right. See, uh, right? A, couple, a couple times. And that's what, that's what Dabo, I mean, even when they played in 2018, Dabo was trying to play the disrespect card. I'm like, y'all already won a title. You already beat Bama. What? <laughs> but that's what he needed to motivate his team and keep them focused during the season when they had a bad schedule. Kirby, I think Kirby had a false sense of how good they were. Like Kelly, like Brian Kelly did last year, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. Coach Kelly and Kirby, I like the comparison because, you know, winning those big games, it really, you really see after the those losses, like, man, you're really just a really good recruiter. Mm-hmm. And and when it came down to coaching against comparable teams that you can't out recruit, it, it just shows because, like you said, the thing that stood out to me was the lack of adjustment. I'm thinking, after Bryce Young basically virtually goes down the field every time and scores, you're going to come out at least give a one high one or two times. They reluctantly stayed in the same defense, making the same mistakes. I mean, they they kept, you know, trying to put a square into a circle, and it just wasn't working. And I think Bryce Young got comfortable and just started looking like practice. He was, oh, man, I do this every day at practice. It's the same defense with worse players in the backfield. So it's going to be hard for Georgia to come back and uh, repeat a performance like that unless they really uh, come out with something different. I, like I told uh, Sean on this, I said, Stetson, we've seen the, 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 the pinnacle of what he could be in the last game. He's, the most he's going to give you is that under 25 points. So if you're not holding that defense down or that Alabama offense under 25 it's just going to be hard because Bama at this point knows everything that you're doing to the point where they're going to put up a good 35 a game. All right. We talked about this before you got on, uh, Brian. If you are an NFL scout, are you taking Michael Mayer or Brock Bauer? It would depend for me on what offense I run. You know, if if you if I'm a team that wants to be a little bit more of a, a traditional tight end type of alignment, then I'd probably take Michael. Uh, if I'm a team that has more of a, I, I want my guy kind of always running pass routes, I'd probably take Brock. I also think that Michael hasn't necessarily been used the, ideally the way that I'd like to see him used. Yeah. Uh, we're finally seeing him late in the season run some seam routes and get the ball down the field. We haven't seen that a lot from him. I think once that part gets added to his game. You know, I just think he's a better all-around player, but it's kind of like, you know, which really good player do you want? I personally, I think Michael's bigger. I think he's stronger. I think Michael's a little bit, a little bit more physical. I think that Michael has the ability to play a traditional tight end role. Plus, I think he can stretch the field more than people realize. I think Michael Mayer is faster than people realize. Yeah, he just yeah. doesn't get a chance to turn it loose. 
And, uh, you know, if, if Will Fuller, all Will Fuller did was run hitch routes, I mean, you wouldn't know how fast he is, right? Like, you, you'd need to see him be turned loose. And, and it's like Kyron. I didn't I didn't think Kyron was all that fast until last year. You watched him against Clemson, and he's like, yeah. oh, look at him pulling away from people. And then he's got some good game speed, right? He's a lot yeah. like Dex. He's not going to run a blazing 40 time, but that first step allows him to, to maximize his speed. You know what I mean? And so I think Michael Mayer's the better player, but, you know, but Brock Bowers is really good too. If, if you were to say, hey, you know, Brock's better, I'd be like, all right, cool. I'm not going to argue with you about it. They're both really good players. And let's get to some of these comments from our listeners and followers, man. Matt D, what's up, Malik? Looking forward to you and Brian talking ND football. Hey, it doesn't get any better than that. That's right. We got our check ins. Malik Elk Hart is in the house. We love we got it. Columbus. We love Columbus is in the house. Ohio Irish fan here, Freeman Air. Coleman Smith, I like this one. We will be one and seven in big games by four fifteen on January first. I definitely I love that. that Marcus Freeman brought that up in today's press conference without even being asked about it. He talked about how they've got us to to change the big bowl game yeah. streak. Like that's yeah. that's the biggest difference between him and Brian Kelly. Right away is he is embraced who Notre Dame is, but also where Notre Dame like. The perception of Notre Dame. What are the things that hurt us? We can't win big games. We can't do this. Embrace it and then overcome it. Because then when you overcome it, if you hype it up and then you overcome it, you can turn it into this big, huge thing that you just conquered. Yeah. And that's what, you know, Brian Kelly always wanted to act like, well, no, 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 that, that's not the problem. It's we have a Bama Clemson problem. Well, you also have a Georgia problem and a Michigan on the road problem. And, you know, and, and now a Cincinnati problem. And yeah, yeah, I mean. So it was a Stanford problem till they stopped being good, and then yeah, then you start beating them again, right? So I mean, I I loved the fact that he he just his first comment was, you know, we we've got a we've got a I'm trying to remember exactly what he said, but like we've got a we've got we we haven't had we haven't had success. He hasn't had any failures in those big games. He wasn't here for any of those games. Yeah. He said we haven't had success in those big games, and we've got a. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And we look forward. Now notice this. Notice the statement he made on the end of that, though. He said that, and then at the end of his comment, he said, "But we look forward to the challenge." Of yes. That narrative. Yes. Almost and he talked about that. perception. Yes. Later in the conversation too, and it's like, okay, yeah, he gets it. And yeah, he, right, gets he gets it. it. And anybody yeah. that that knows that you, he's taking that position of, he knows the thing that's going to get us over the hump are winning those big games, are winning when it matters because. That's where the bar is. It's not a. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not. We're not at the point as a fan base or even as a program to where we feel good about being good. We expect the highest level of championship aspirations, and to address that, lets us know that we we feel good that we basically chose you to be in that position. We trust you enough to get in that opportunity and have those guys ready. Yeah. I felt like a lot of times Coach Kelly was so under undervaluing the the moment because it may not have been the the final game that the players didn't resonate like they should have with the the momentum of the game that we played flat every time so if we came out with more energy i think it just changes the culture right then and there malik you know this right you played at notre dame you cannot have this nameless faceless opponent thing that brian kelly's had you just can't you have to what i've always felt is the best coaches didn't always try to bring the energy level down. They tried to always raise it up. So like the weeks that you were playing some team that you know, because 
I've said this for a long time, Malik. You tell me if I'm wrong here, okay? I said, look, these kids aren't stupid, right? You don't, you don't, you don't, they don't watch film of a team that stinks, right? You don't watch a, a bad Bowling Green team uh, and be like, okay, but Malik, they're actually really good, okay? I know they're one in seven, and you're like, oh, okay, coach, they're really good. No, you know they stink. So then your job is to say, well, can, how can I motivate them this week to realize that we've got to up the energy level, even though they're, they don't have a natural energy level? When you're getting ready to start the season against Texas, or when you're going to play Clemson, or when you're going to play Bama, you don't need to raise the energy level because it's there. It's already but he, there. he always spent so much time trying to bring it down that you then couldn't lift it up when it was Miami on the road in 2017. And, and, and that's the thing is, is it's always got to be about energy. I, I believe this with my core. You can't turn the emotional switch on and off. It, yeah. You got to always have it on. And then you got to, then your job is to say, okay, now can I, how can I harness that energy and steer it in the right direction? And, and to me, it's like, you know, like the, like think about some of the biggest games in Kelly's tenure. It was games like that. No one thought they were going to win LSU 2014. Yeah, there was a different energy level in that game. You got Ronnie and Elijah Shoemate meeting LSU, coming out of locker and running their mouths at them. Yeah, you never see that from Notre Dame because okay. why? Because everybody's like, y'all have no chance. You're gonna get smashed. I think there was like two people on the Notre Dame beat that picked Notre Dame to beat LSU. That's it. I was one of them, but uh, I think Jake Brown from at the time was with Irish Illustrated was the other one. That's it. Everybody's all oh, Notre Dame's gonna get killed. And I'm like, they're not that team we saw at the end of the season. Yeah. If they that, turn it loose. And mean. and you know, when I when I was at the game and I saw Ronnie and Elijah down there near LSU coming out. Do you remember that? Did you see that, Malik, or were you like yeah, growing up somewhere there. else? I was out there I, mean, and I remember it because we were because we knew that nobody thought we could win. And the mm -hmm. fact that they were just we knew what we had, mm -hmm. just like you said, we knew what we had if we could really get behind it. So uh, it was just a it was just a matter of us unlocking it and we did we did end up doing that so mm -hmm. and I think that just comes to the what I like about Marcus Freeman and perception is that now we'll finally feel like an intimidating team to where these mm -hmm. Toledos and Georgia Techs don't feel like they can play with us anymore. Yes. So, I don't ever want to see another team like <laughs> to Cincinnati come to Notre Dame yeah. Stadium and, and get in the Notre Dame players' mouths. Right, like I don't ever, and and, and, and they just took it. They yeah. took it. I, I, I mean, like to me, I remember uh, there was a year I was coaching, and and we were playing a team that was really bad, right? And and we had a hard time all weekend. Our players motor for the game, and they had some other dude that came at midfield in the pregame and just started running his mouth at our players. And I looked at my buddy, I was like, "Oh, that's not a good idea," because I'm worried about the game. Like, are we going to be emotional for the game? Or are we going to have? Because this team sucks. As soon as he did that, I was like, oh, that that's not going to go well for him, right? And, and it's kind of like players – you just can't get in another team's face and because I knew we had the kind of players that when you got in our face, oh, mm -mm. But you watch this team and it's like – it just – it's like they – since that players barking at him after plays yeah, and it's let, just – they're, they're just kind of taking it and – Yeah, come what? in our house. What? They really talk like they're a power five team. We Yeah. yeah. Just, that's just the personality Brian Kelly has. Right. But that's right. just also the what happens when you have a guy there for 12 years. Right. I said this earlier that you never seen a head coach ever in the history of a, a, a top five school of all time stay as long as he has without winning a championship after continually promising and promising and getting close and close. Not in, not in the modern era, for sure. I think Tom Osborne's about the only one that I can think of historically. But, but again, Nebraska's 
different a different animal in Notre Dame. Yeah, like this Completely is a one-on-one -on -one situation that we've allowed to go on for so long. It's like you date the girl and you know you just can't commit to her and y'all on and off, on and off, and then you finally leave her. It's kind of like uh you're just tired, you know. And I think mm -hmm. we were just at a tired place, and Kelly saw the end of the road and knows that he didn't have enough juice to get us across the finish line, but Marcus Freeman does, and I think this is a good start. And I like that we play in Oklahoma State. I I just, you know, I still feel like I don't know if I want to put Georgia in front of Marcus Freeman for his first time to finish the season, but Oklahoma State, I feel a lot better about. That's fair. I mean, that's the great unknown of that matchup, right? We don't know how. There's two ways of looking at it. One is Coach Freeman's going to be unprepared for that moment, as just about any other first-time head coach would be. Yeah, anybody else would. Nick right. Easy. Right. And then and then the other part of it is the, the other thing that I kind of look at is, OK, well, they're not going to really know what a, uh, you know, a Marcus Freeman led football team is going to play like, yeah. you know, that that's But you just you just don't know. Right. That's the great thing. And, and unlike, you know, like the thing I was thinking about, man, all week is is and I could not get past this was I still remember, you know, my first my formative year of being a Notre Dame fan was I was 10 years old. It was 1988. That's when Notre Dame won a title. Well, a lot of people forget is that same year, like the basketball season that followed. So like, you know, football season's over, basketball season started, was the year Michigan won their last national championship basketball. Well, if, you know, y'all might, Sean, you're not too young to remember. Malik might be yeah. too young to remember. Uh, you're an old head like me. Uh, Michigan, you know, their head coach right before the NCAA tournament says, hey, I'm Bill Frieder. I'm going to take the head job at Arizona State, but I'm going to coach team tournament. Bill, Bo Schembechler says, no, a Michigan man's going to coach Michigan. Well, and then they went on to win the NCAA tournament. Well, the nice thing that Michigan had going for him is they got to play a 14 seed in his first game and then South Alabama, the 11 seed in the second game before they had to go play North Carolina, right? right? So it's not like Marcus Freeman gets a chance to go play Navy and Stanford before you go play Georgia, right? So yeah, <laughs> New Year's Six Bowl, your first game, that's not right. an easy feat. Right, and then there's the risk of what happens if you start off 0-2. You know, you lose this game and then you go on the road against Ohio State. But I, I like the o o Oklahoma State matchup because I think it's a game they can certainly win. But it's also a really good football team that mat that that's that's a like Michigan State. I don't know if Michigan State would have given them a, a really good test because I think the matchup for Michigan State is really bad. Notre yeah. Dame can stop the run and they can't defend, and Michigan State can't defend the pass. And defend the pass. They would. <laughs> I mean, they would shred Michigan Michigan State, oh, and, yeah. and and they wouldn't be able to score on Michigan State because Michigan's not a great run defense against balanced teams. They can shut down Iowa because that's all Iowa can do. That's all yeah. Iowa. Can but do teams that. that have some balance have given Michigan some problems. Now Michigan's got a great pass rush, but they're not a great run defense. Right. And so I think I think when you look at the Michigan State, Michigan State was balanced. They could do some things on Michigan. They wouldn't be able to do that against Notre Dame because I think Notre Dame would be able to shut down the run game and then put the, the, the game on Peyton Thorne's shoulders. I just don't think that would have been the kind of test you want. Oklahoma State is a very good defense. They're very good in the trenches, so you're going to find out where your line is now, right? They've got a really good defense, so you're going to have to – you know, if, if what we think Tommy is now that Kelly's gone, we're going to get a good first test of that because this is a really good defense. And that would be the thing to me, Malik, is if you go shred Michigan State, do you really know if your offense is is where it needs to be? If you can move the ball and score on Oklahoma State, you know that you got something because that's a really good defense. But they also don't have an offense that you have to worry about outscoring you. You know, so I like the matchup because it's a good test. You're gonna have to play well to beat them, but it's also a matchup that I think that that's gonna teach us something 
about this Notre Dame football team. Yeah, this is 100%. I think this is a out of this is a game for Tommy to show what he can really put out there. I don't think we've played a Big 12 team like this to where they're going to present a different front for us. They're going to do a lot of flying around. I think that uh, for us, this will be also a game for Kyron to establish Kyron early and often. I think they, after a while, through four quarters, I don't think they'll be able to handle our run. Mm-hmm. I think the, be- the beautiful thing about Kyron through the whole season and since he's been at Notre Dame is that he gets better as the game goes on. Mm-hmm. Like he, he becomes an X factor when it matters late in games. And that's something that Oklahoma State I don't think hasn't seen from a player like Kyron, and they don't have one themselves like Kyron to do that either. For us, it's all about offense because I do think the defense and Marcus Freeman is going to just have the energy and the juice just right to where it's going to have Oklahoma State at bay for us to offensively to score a lot of points or to get points and play from a lead. If we can play from a lead early on in the first half, I think that's going to be the key for us to really get the victory early because I think that defense, especially in 14 plays, can guide the ship in the dock. I mean, guide the dock, guide the ship into the dock really well. And last but not least, for a guy like Jack, I think this is a prime example of why we got a guy like Jack Cohen for moments like these. I think it's good to work Tyler in a little bit, but this is a game specifically for Jack to finish the right way. Mm-hmm. Tommy and him have, have a great relationship, especially I like how they finished on a strong note these last two games, putting up 40-plus points. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to give Jack confidence going into this last game. Like, hey, we, we can run it up, too, against this team just like you do against regular Big 12 teams. So uh, it's a good matchup for us specifically against Michigan State. I think it would just be same old, same old, business as usual. We're going to run play action heavy, and then we're going to play some solid defense against a not good merch type of quarterback. So I think this is the right challenge. I think it's the game I would prefer under Georgia over Michigan, Michigan State mm-hmm. in the Cincinnati even Cincinnati, I think it would be a, a more decisive win than it, people would think yeah. just because it's hard to beat a team like us twice in the same season, and we owe them one. I think mm-hmm. Marcus being a head coach oh, would make yeah. a total difference, especially against Luke Fickle. And I know he probably feels the way that they even were talking about Luke Fickle being in, in ranks with the job, considering mm-hmm. I definitely want to have that situation again. But uh, this is the just the perfect setup for Marcus Freeman to get a win because next year I think is a much different challenge. Yeah, so, next year's team's going to look way different. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's going to look – and potentially more dynamic. People ask, what do you think Notre Dame's going to do against Ohio State? I was like, can you let me find out who's going to come back for both teams first? Like, I have no idea. Yeah. Like, does Ohio State return two of their three receivers or do they lose all three of them? I don't know. I mean, does Notre Dame bring back Adam Yola and Foskey or do they lose them both or just one? I mean – I got to see all that, but I, you know, I, I'm excited because I feel like, especially if they win this game, I've said this, Malik, and 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 I've always wanted to test this theory, and you'll be able to tell me this. I have said for years that I felt like Notre Dame went into the off season in 2014 after an eight and five season, losing four of the last five games, but they won the bowl game with more excitement than they did in 2015 when they went 10 and three but lost their last two games. True or oh, false? Yeah. True, 100, percent 100. percent and I think that, I mean, it's just, it's just the perception, man. I think the perception is in the in the right direction for what we want to do. And I, <laughs> you talk about turning the tide. This is something that, like I always talk about, this is unconventional for us to do, but it's the right thing for us to do. Yeah. Uh, 
when's the last time we've even we've even been consistent? I think that's what we were clamoring for at before Brian Kelly. We're clamoring for consistency just to be in the ranks. And now it's like we're we're even greedier. I think it's just yeah. a, a chance for us to we we're tired of seeing Alabama. We're tired of seeing the Clemsons and Ohio States of the world. We want to take that next step. And this is this is where it starts. Because Ohio, like you said, Ohio State's gonna lose a lot of people. And I don't think their running backs are as good as they've been in the past. So going into next year, I think we got a, a really good chance now. We're playing at Trey, the Trey, Trey, Trey Beyond is no joke. Yeah, he's no joke. I like our stable. I think from a oh, it, it's not oh, just, no, 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 no. I don't disagree with that. You just said their running backs aren't as good as they've been. That's I'm, I mean compared to Zeke and even Trayvon Sermon was was really good. At well, no, you go you go back and watch them as freshmen and compare them to what Travion did as a freshman. He's pretty good. Now, now here's the thing: what I'll say to you, Malik, Travion's a stud, right? But would yeah. I take Notre Dame's second, third, and fourth running back, or however Ohio State's second, third, and fourth running back? Yes, sir, I would. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's just, I mean, does if Austin and Lindsey come back next year, if Avery Davis decides to come back and take his COVID year for a sixth, that's going to make this offense look different if then two of the three of them leave, right? I mean, so there's just so much unknowns, but but I like as we also got to see who does Coach Freeman hire. I mean, that's that's going to matter. If he just brings that's everybody back who's already here, I mean, so so there's just so much about this team that we don't know. Yeah. And, and we're going to learn a lot about what kind of Coach Marcus Freeman is because, look, he's about to do – and has already done in some instances the hardest thing to do as a football coach. And that is to look a man in the eye whose wife you have met, who children, you know, and say, sorry, you're not here anymore. Yeah. Straight up. And that's what can separate the great ones from the, you know, and, and that's not an easy thing. I mean, that's your first job as your head coach is you got to let people go, but we're going to learn if he's got the ability to do that. Cause that's sadly, that's what you have to do is, I mean, you're the CEO, right? I mean, yeah. you've got to be able to say, look, as much as I love you and I loved your kids and I love your wife and, and she makes me, you know, apple pie every other week and I love it. But the reality is, is you're here because we're expected to produce at this level and we're not because you're not producing at that level. And I love you, but I got to find somebody better. And then who does he replace those guys with? So these yeah. are all the things we're going to learn about him, like from junk, right? I mean, and then how do you how do you prepare that offseason plan to get your team emotionally, mentally and fundamentally ready to go, you know, play in the shoe? And and so we're just there's a lot we're going to learn about this team, but I can't really get too much in the specifics just because I don't know who the heck is going to come back. Yeah, you nobody, does. nobody does. So you talked about perception, and this was actually Marcus Freeman. Uh, it, it's so funny, man, because Jesse Palmer, in my opinion, uh, on the college football show on ESPN, tried to throw shade at the program and tried to guide Marcus Freeman into an excuse and Marcus Freeman wanted no parts of it. This is Marcus Freeman responding to Jesse Palmer on the college football playoff show on ESPN earlier today. One of the things Brian Kelly was great at doing during his tenure there was recruiting. Um, and you're obviously known as an outstanding recruiter. Can you talk to us a little bit about the challenges facing Notre Dame when it comes to recruiting versus some other places you've been and what your vision is with respect to recruiting to take this program to the next level? Yeah, I think 
the challenges might be some of the perception. And that's what I've been trying to change since I've been here is that this place is a gold mine. This place will change your life for the better. And, and if you are able to communicate that with these young people and make them understand that if you want to win a national championship, come to Notre Dame. If you want a chance to set yourself up for the rest of your life, come to Notre Dame. And there's so many different things that this university and this fo football program will do for your future. And it's my job and our job as a coaching staff to continue to communicate it to these young athletes. Yo, let me tell you something. What? The greatest. First of all, Justin Farmer called Brian Kelly a great recruiter. Brian Kelly's known as a great recruiter? According Where? to who? According to who? Yeah. Were you too busy at the Bachelor when they were going over recruiting rankings? Yeah, like, what are you talking sources about? say it's one of those sources say allegedly. <laughs> no, that's 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 one of the interns handing them a paper before the show to say, <laughs> "Hey, you got to put you this." Know. In. You know yeah, what it is? is it's him believing Brian Kelly's hype. Yeah, it's, it's the, the hype. hype yeah. The nons. Sean, let, let, say what you're going to say, because because I, I think you're going to set me up for my feelings on why I love that comment so much. There's two reasons why. So go ahead, Sean. It's your show, baby. I'm no, just along for the ride. No, I'm just going to say it like this. What stuck out to me, because, you know, we're all part of the media, but it's, look, I work for the company. So when Jesse Palmer tried to lead him down that road of making an excuse he wanted no parts of playing the game that the national media wants you to play. Like they tried to make him a part of the crew early on with that interview. Go ahead and answer this the way we expect you to answer it. And we'll love you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And from, and he said, no, he said, no. I, don't want your, I, don't want, I don't want your penance. <laughs> First of all, and, and, he and said really the challenges compared to other places you've been. I wanted Mark's room like, brother, I've been at Purdue, Kent State, and Cincinnati. Right. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know if you've noticed it, but doors have been open for me that were never open for me before. Right. You think I'm going to get Jalen Steed and Josh Burnham and Benjamin Morrison and Tyson Ford and Noah, Junior Tuyalamaka and Nolan Ziegler and, and Jaden Mickey when I was at Cincinnati? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, do you, you know – but that's the whole thing he said, though. It's like the challenges. But but see, here's why that the media says that all the time. Because that's what Nuren's freaking head coach has been saying for 12 years. That's true. That's true. That's a good point. That's true. So why would the media not buy it when the freaking head coach has saying, been saying, well, you know, we're challenged. We got to shop down a different aisle. Yeah, I mean, if you're lazy and you just want to shop the first couple aisles because you don't want to go in the deeper aisle, sure, you're shopping oh, in a yeah. different aisle. You know? And, and so that that – but for Marcus, like you said, Sean, he got set up. Mm -hmm. To say the, you know, you're right, and we just got to find the right kind of kid. He was like, no, want to know part? Like, I, you know, no. This is this gold mine. Mm -hmm. This place is a gold mine, and I love the fact that he started off with championship, then went to what it can do for the rest of your life. Straight up, you know, Straight up. the other way around. Yeah. It was always backwards. Yes, because the this is what I try to explain to people. Sean, you know, I mean, you. I had this conversation on the show the other day. I was not going to go into it, but you told me to go ahead and go into it. You'd pay the fine if there was a fine, which I appreciate. I got your back. Okay. I got your back. But there's this assumption that, you know, really good football players, especially certain skill positions from a certain part of the country, don't really care about the academic piece. And what I've said is a lot of kids care, but a lot of kids care about three things that are real important to them, okay? And academics is usually going to be third. 
even for a kid like Kyle Hamilton. Yes, Notre Dame attracted him. He comes from a great private school and a family that pushes academics. But if Notre Dame had a crappy football team, Kyle Hamilton's not coming to Notre Dame. No. Right? The kids want to do three things. Most kids, they want to compete for a championship. They want to be a high NFL draft pick, and they want to get an education that's going to help prepare for their lives. A lot of, there's a lot of kids that way. The reality is, is that Notre Dame usually only offered one of those things. Right. Occasionally part of two. And then now you're starting to see them being in the playoff and, and you're starting to see them putting more kids in the NFL. There's more kids open to them. Marcus Freeman steps into that void and says, I'm going to go get those guys. And if you think about some of the kids, so Notre Dame, I would argue, has one of the two or three best defensive classes in the entire country. Okay. When he got hired in this January, visit, you know, this January, Junior Two Alamaka didn't have an offer. Jalen Sneed didn't have an offer. Jaden Mickey didn't have an offer. Benjamin Morrison didn't have an offer. Mm-hmm. Aiden Gabera was barely on their radar. Tyson Ford was leaning towards Oklahoma. Josh Burnham grew up a Michigan fan, was probably going to go to Michigan. Like, if you look at that, the class doesn't look anything like that if Marcus Freeman doesn't show up. Now, is Marcus Freeman a dynamic recruiter? Sure. But did yes. Notre Dame all of a sudden lower their academic standards because Marcus Freeman showed up? Nope. No. It's Marcus Freeman said, I shouldn't recruit him because why? Because he's – yeah, shut up. I'm going after him because I want him, right? right. And think – they're beating – they beat Alabama and Washington for Benjamin Morrison. Jimmy Lake has been owning Notre Dame for West, for, for West Coast DB recruits for – a since he got there, right? Jimmy Lake saved me embarrassment on your podcast. Thank yes, you. he did. He did. Because you were going to have to do some backflips. That's right. There's no question about it. <laughs> True story. That's right. And, and you know, look at Devin Moore. I mean, he since decommitted because of everything going on. But, like, he had a Florida offer. Bama wanted him. Bama wanted Benjamin Morrison. Jalen Sneed is a kid that had, you know, teams from all over the country want him. He's gone into the back. The back. He's gone in. Malik, you're from Ohio. You don't go to Menor, Ohio, and get a five-star kid that Ohio State wants. It just doesn't oh, yeah. happen. It's just, it just doesn't That's happen. That's exactly what he did with Brennan Vernon, right? Yeah. It, he went down to Florida and went to, to Berkeley Prep. Notre Dame's been trying to get kids from Berkeley Prep for a decade. They tried to get Nolan Zick or uh, uh, Nolan or uh, Nelson Aguilar from there. Nelson right. Aguilar had great grades. He just wanted right. to go somewhere he could play in a great offense and be a first-round draft pick, and it wasn't going right. to be Notre Dame. Right. Uh, because he decided that was before Will blew up, right? I mean, because he was kind of a contemporary Will. But you tried to get Nicholas Pettit Ferrer. They would have maybe got him if Harry was still here, but they've tried to get kids out of there and just never successful. But Marcus Freeman and Mike Elston, and I think, too, Marcus Freeman has kind of given Mike Elston a, a bit of a, a pep in his step, too, because in the past, Mike Elston was just like, it's just me. I'm not going to go down into Florida and just me and get and beat Kirby's whole staff for a kid, but now it's like I got I got Marcus, I got Mickens, yep. I got you know I got and now it's like I could even send Tommy Reese down there. He's got some he's got some personality because Tommy walks in a room and he's like that. I'm not gonna say a whole lot, but when I speak, um, you you, you I'm gonna bring it to you, you know, because right. we're trying to do this. Like I'm not trying to play all that BS. I'm trying to win championships. Do you want to win a championship or not? I mean, that's just a conversation right now, right? I'm not, you know, and 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 now it's like I'm not. It's it's like it's. It's like now I got me and my boys now, right? It's not just me. And and I think that's going to make him an even better recruiter. And he's already been a pretty good recruiter. Yeah. Right? But now he's like, okay, I can go get Brennan Vernon. I can go get Keon Keeley. Two years ago, Mike Elson's like, oh, that'd be nice, but I'm going to find some kid I can develop because I'm not going to get that kid because it's just I'm me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so let's go ahead, Malik. 
and that's the and that's the important thing. I mean, you gotta you got belief in the recruiting now. I mean, a lot of times I think it was just they just didn't feel as though they can get the kids. So they just didn't. If they they chose the route of development because that's the easiest way to say you're coaching kids and, and bringing them up. But a lot of situations that we're vaulting ourselves in because of the energy in the recruiting in the recruiting staff right now is that we're going after the kids that are everybody else thinks is comfortable with the top choices. And once we can and once we can break through that aspect right there, I'm telling you, that's the difference where we're going to get the attention of a Nick Saban. We'll get the attention of a Ryan Day to be like, oh, we might need to boost up our little uh, duffel bags this time. Instead of have 10, we put a couple extra hundreds in there. Because <laughs> it's going to have it's going to be a struggle because they're competing with something that they can't give these kids past football. And, that's and why this is why NIL is so important for Notre Dame. Yes. Because in the past, look, there's a kid that I, I want to be academically oriented. I want to do these things. I mean, I won't name some names, but I know a couple kids, Malik, that you played with that picking Notre Dame was a tough choice for them because they came from families that could have used that help. But fortunately for them, they had mom that said, hey, I'm, I'm be fine. You go do what you got to do. But now it's like you don't have to worry about that because I can go to Notre Dame, get me a clothing deal or get me a you know, a chicken commercial or something like that. And I can take care of my mother if I'm good. Right. Notre Dame can compete with that now. And, and the, the, the reason I, it's funny, I've been told story after story. I've mentioned this on my show about how the, I've seen recruiting situations with Southern kids, especially with Southern black kids where Florida and Florida state, or like they would recruit, they would all gang up on Notre Dame because they're petrified of a kid from a public school in the Southeast going to Notre Dame and succeeding and what that would do as far as when they try to negatively recruit the next kid. I mean, you had Aaron Lynch being told by coaches down there, man, you can't make it academically at Notre Dame. You can't handle that at Notre Dame. They will tell kids that. Like, why, would, once, you tell a, why would you tell a kid? Because you don't care about the kids. You care about your wins and losses and your pay raise and all that. They don't care about these kids. So right? Just, you're just get the kid, job done. That's it. You're incapable of greatness. But they do that. That's like, a fact. I mean, Malik can attest to this. They do that on the That's recruiting crazy. trail. They tell, them, they tell them the easiest, the easiest way out. You're like, man, you don't want all yeah. that work, and you, right. you know, you you're here to focus on chasing your dreams, and we can support right. that. And you know, we're not here to try to make you something that you don't want to be right now. You can always That's go right. to school, but that perception is just so much different when you can get on campus with a Marcus Freeman that can show you the the sides that can enhance your life. Let it be bigger than just going to class, and I think. Kids can make common sense out of that, and that perception that's changing instantly. You're going to see reverberate with these five stars that mm -hmm. we've been missing out on. You know, right. it's, it's going to be a harder choice for them, and you're going to see a lot more hats on that stage when it comes to these decisions for some of these kids. No doubt. Yo, so no doubt. you're talking about recruiting, Brian. We do something on our show where we call it the petty trap. <laughs> oh, this right? is okay. And 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 you know. If I've somebody, tried to avoid that on my show, but the last week I've had a real hard time. Okay, so that. I'm going to give you an opportunity to participate because you've never had a chance to participate. So we give our listeners, our followers, our guests an opportunity to put somebody on the petty train that deserves to be on the petty train for something they did or said during the week that was just ridiculous and outright petty. Uh, Brian Kelly gave us so much this year, we stopped putting him on a petty train and made him the conductor. 
Yeah. Okay. Train. You just stole my opportunity. Okay. You're, you're on the train, but I'm going to set you up because I sent you this story yesterday. I believe it is from the Colombian.com up in Canada. Notre Dame recruit Malik. You haven't heard this yet. Notre Dame recruit Tobias will commit Tobias Merriweather <laughs> and his parents are totally just in shock <laughs> of what they experienced on Monday. Brian Kelly, along with other assistant coaches, arrived. It was, it was Brian Kelly, Tommy Reese, Dell Alexander, and Brian Polian. Right. <laughs> so this goes to the fact that none of his assistants knew what the heck was going on. A group with Brian Kelly arrives at the Merriweather's at about approximately 2.15 p.m. on Monday. Just think about that, 2.15 p.m. The rumors start bubbling at around 4, okay? They didn't leave until 5.30 p.m. During the visit, there was a private phone call that Brian Kelly excused himself to take. He couldn't even wait when he was until he was done with the visit. He left to take the private phone call. I can't confirm that it was from his agent about LSU, but one can only assume that that's the only call that he would leave a recruiting trip in an in-home visit. Unless some other stud was ready to commit to him, right? Exactly. That's about yeah. it. And he never mentioned mention one time to Tobias Merriweather or his parents that he was considering leaving Notre Dame. I'm sure he was selling the young man and his parents that he would be there the whole time knowing that the deal was in the works. You want to talk about a lack of integrity? The, the, the unmitigated gall to even keep the in-home visit. It's not you're not done yet. You're not done no, yet. Not it done. gets worse. I know. Go ahead. You finish it up. No, you you're rolling. It gets worse. This is terrible. So, so they leave. Right. Dad says like 90 seconds later, Tobias starts checking Twitter because he actually had the decency not to be on his phone while he was in the room with the head coach at the University of Notre Dame. Yeah. And he's like, Dad, look, right? Like it's it's there's all these rumors. And so they text Dell and Dell and Tommy are like. Coach Kelly said that's bull spit, you know, and uh, and, and then oh he lied to his lied assistant. lied right and then had them lie to the recruit yes right yeah and then he so gets the, basically sometime at the airport he says well I guess I'm going to LSU as like, he's at the airport yep like he because, wasn't like yes and then uh i guess i i think it was matt freeman from irish sports daily had had a story somebody sent me and, and i guess tommy reese was just super apologetic and like hey i'm so sorry i didn't know and, and like because that's the thing is you put them out like now they're lying to the kid un, unknowingly Facts. now you've hurt my you've now hurt my rep you just had me like you it's one thing for you to lie right you had me lie and and uh, it just speaks volumes about the, the the like my dad taught me when I was growing up, you know your your character is not defined by how you react when you you're winning and things are successful. Your character is defined by how you handle adversity and how you handle tough decisions and things like that. And and for him to be in a situation where he was willing to basically do everything morally bankrupt in a bankrupt manner yeah. because that's yeah. what was best for him. 
you're going to call your assistant coaches to try to poke them from Notre Dame before you even told Notre Dame you're not – you're still technically – because he hadn't resigned yet. So as yeah, long yeah. as you haven't resigned, you're the head coach of Notre Dame, and you're trying to hire guys away from Notre Dame when you haven't even resigned yet. You're having people lie to you at the same time. I mean, are you serious? But at the it same time, Sean, what was my response? Okay, I'm okay. not surprised. No. Like, that's what pisses me no. off. You've got all these people in the media talking about, oh, he did. And I'm like, I've been saying this for years, and you guys got mad at me. You called me a hater and all this other kind of crap, and you were – you know, why you were holding his hand and we love you, Coach Kelly. This is the best coaching job you've ever done ever. You know, you beat a whole bunch of unranked teams. You're tremendous, you know, because your roster with a six-year senior, five fifth-year seniors, six seniors and seven juniors in the starting lineup was really young this year, you know. And now you, when he's gone, you want to put him on blast. Well, you know what? We've been putting him on blast for years. Sure and it's because of this. I See, because here's the thing. I've talked to parents. I've talked. I've talked to parents like in the last two years of players who were captains that were drafted. So this isn't like some like like you could find third string kids that played for me and they're like, man, that guy he because they don't like me because I didn't play them. Right. If, if all you ever talk to is like third stringers, you're gonna have a real, you know, tainted view of what's going on. I'm talking about captains, starters, guys that were drafted, guys that are still in the NFL. And when you get them or you get their parents on a this isn't a this isn't an interview, we're just we're just talking, and you should hear some of the stuff that's been said for years, yeah, for years. about him. You going back to Cincinnati, you know, you talk to Tony Pike, and Tony Pike will tell you a lot, and that was his quarterback. Mm-hmm. They I mean they did some things together. And right. and I've been told like I remember talking to a couple captains on the 2018. I'm like, yeah, how do you guys keep winning if all this stuff is going on? It's because like we don't play for him. Brotherhood. We play for each other. And yeah. there are other coaches that they – I mean, they respected Clark Lee a lot, right? Like, they respected Harry a lot. They, res- they respect certain coaches a lot, right? Like, you know, so so the assistants were able to kind of – Matt Bayless has, has been the kind of the glue that's kept that whole thing together. But it's it's like – but they, they – I mean, I've had – I've had some of those guys – I never had a conversation with Brian Kelly during my tenure at Notre Dame. Parents of guys that were captains are like, I, I never had a conversation with Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. And it's like, so none of this stuff is surprising to me. I just enjoy that it's finally out in the open. But I want to let people know, this didn't start the moment LSU offered him a contract. He wasn't like this really good guy that cared about, like this false perception he put out about how I care about my players. And then, but no, no, you care about you. And once those players stop being a benefit to you, they're not really a thing for you anymore. Malik, you're my quarterback, man. When you're hurt, you're my team. Oh, Deshaun's balling out. He's an NFL player. Hey, sorry, Malik. You know, we're not... I mean, that's that's been his thing forever. And it's not about right. benching guys because you have to make tough decisions sometimes. Yeah. Hey, I love you. You're my favorite player, but this guy's better than you. You know, that that's part of life. Yeah. But he's never been a guy that I'm out for the kids, I'm out for development, I'm about for doing what's right by them. That's never been his thing. And never. and and I just love that it's finally coming out, but I just wish some of these people would have brought this up before because maybe I wouldn't have had to endure 12 years of this nonsense if it would have came out before. I'm just mad because Malik, you know, our last episode, we talked about how important it is, you know, when you go on a recruiting trip, how important it is that, you know, when you have an in-home visit, you know, the food is right. You know, you want to make sure the coaches have good Mm -hmm. food. You know, Mama Merriweather had deviled eggs, barbecue shrimp, and burnt ends brisket. That's a good evening. You sat down. You sat down. And ate my, you sat down and ate my wife's brisket. <laughs> had three helpings. Three helpings, 
and had the nerve to be sitting here lying to me, man, let me tell you something. <laughs> Look, hey, to, to quote one of the kings, Sean, there's gonna be some furniture moving in this. <laughs> facts, facts. Like Lisi ate her food. That's not what he did when he visited Thomas Graham. They did an in-home with Thomas Graham after the 2016 season, and his mom like made some food. I can't remember if she got like pizza or something. Like she got food, and they were like, "No, we ate on the plane." True story. Uh, uh, Didn't eat the food that the that the family had made for him. Are you see? kept looking at their watches the whole time? Yep, yep. He was silently committed to Notre Dame. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I've heard stuff like this for years, y'all. I mean, right. I've had coaches call me up like, man, we're going to lose this kid. I'm like, why? He was, like, going to – he's like, because I can't get that guy on – I can't get the head coach to call the kid. Yeah, yeah, just can't get him to call. Just so busy and doing whatever he's doing. He, he told me that, you know, we shouldn't have to beg kids to come here. What? What? <laughs> uh, true story. True read story. the room. True story. Like, dude, read the room. Right. And that's why I'm – I mean, ultimately, that's one of the many reasons I'm excited about Marcus Freeman because, like, imagine what Notre Dame can do. You know, like, so, so, like our people on our channel, they know I'm a history guy, right? Like, it's funny. I was actually watching a show about World War II combat ships before I went on with you guys. I almost, like, didn't come on right on time because I was like, oh, shoot, I was watching the show, right? I love right. big history guy, right? And so they bring up that quote by, by uh, Admiral Yamamoto after Pearl Harbor. Like, you know, I feel like all we've done is awake a sleeping giant. Yeah. And that's how I felt. And that's why I've been – people are like, why do you get so upset with Brian Kelly when, you know, they're 10-2 and two and 11-1? and one? I'm like, because I know they can be better. They, be don't better. Have to, they don't have to keep taking these beatdowns on the national stage because they can be better than that. Don't tell me after you lose to Clemson 30-3 to three that the problem is you don't have enough explosive playmakers when I knew – because, Sean, you know this – when 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 Miles ran that speed and Chase ran his speed, did I act surprised? No, no, because I'm watching them smoke dudes. I mean, I knew they could run, but you're you know, it's like, I, and he's gonna sit there and say, well, we don't have enough explosive playmate. You got Dex, you got Chase, you got Miles, you got Alize Mack, yeah. you got Tony. Your your third string running back is now a starting running back in the National Football League. Yeah, Tony, and and, and, and it's just like. And it, then last year, same thing. Well, I don't, you know, and, and here's another thing. In, in 18, you had Braden Lindsay on the bench. You had Kevin Austin on the bench. You had Lawrence Keyes on the bench. Just like 2017 when you're trying to beat Georgia and you got Miles and Chase and, and, and Cole Komet on the bench, you know, and, and it's just I'm so tired of people, these these perceptions of the program that are just false. And, and they're, they exist because they're allowed to exist. And that's what I'm excited about with Marcus Freeman because from the day he got here, he said, no more excuses. No more BS. Yeah. We're going to put in the work because I know there's kids out there that want to be here. And and that's just what has me just, I mean. And it's safe to say, it's safe mm. to say he made the environment unsettling for Brian Kelly because he was not going to accept what everybody else in the building well, and I don't, I don't think Mike, I don't think Brian Kelly liked that. Oh, I don't think, I don't think Brian Kelly liked the attention that that Marcus Freeman was was getting. Which is why, if you go back and and I want everybody to think about this, if you go back and listen to his his post game and post practice interviews, he was much more critical of the defense Absolutely. all year than he was uh, the we offense. We talked about that. We talked about that. We talked about that. He's. He's given so much harsh criticism to Marcus Freeman's performance, but he's he's taking it back of Tim Quinn. Right. He's taking it right. back of Quinn talking about the linemen and right. technique, but you I'm talking about scathing criticism of, right. of the defense as if they weren't holding us up in the beginning. 
I mean, if you look at their numbers since the Toledo game, it's, I mean, it's just, they're giving up like 14 and a half points per game. Yeah. I mean. What do you want? Like what? <laughs> and they haven't had a top five NFL draft pick on their, on their, in their lineup in the last five. I mean, they've got a converted corner and a converted wide receiver basically is two of the three safeties in the last three games of the year. And they're balling. Crazy. Crazy. I mean, this, that's man, that's, this team has so much more talent than people realize. And it's just, that's, what's so exciting though. Right. Cause it's like, okay, we're, we're, we're venting about Kelly, but like he's LSU's problem now, man. Yeah. Like I'm ready to see uh, this unleashed. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see this thing unleashed. It, it may not be a title team in 2022. It's it, that's not necessarily where I'm getting at. It's just I feel like the program is finally going to start. If, if they're not, if they don't win under Marcus Freeman, then we can say, hey, look, you know what? Maybe there are some things that you just can't overcome. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like if if it's like this, if if you give your best and it's just not good enough, yeah. then I can I can accept that. Accept I won't like it, but I can accept it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you're when you're not giving your best and you're holding it back, I can't accept the fact that Notre Dame inherently holds hold, Notre Dame as an institution keeps the program for being better. Yeah. I can't accept that when I know there are things you could, should be doing differently. No, and that's right. what I'm excited to see is no more excuses. No, no. And, and today's press conference, from Mark, if there was ever a time that he was going to he was going to use those excuses would have been today because he would have tempered down the expectation. Hey, look, y'all, I mean, we're we're still we're just we're just getting going. Let's get no, us- his thing from day one is no, we're going to do this thing. Right. No mm-hmm. more excuses. Hey, we need to make sure these kids understand what makes Notre Dame great. Yep. And all Brian Kelly kept doing is, yeah, Notre Dame is great, but. Notre Dame is great, but Notre Dame is great, but Marcus Freeman's Notre Dame's great, but what's your problem? Yeah. What what are you what are you waiting on? Because this thing is rolling. And and that's what has me so excited about the future of the program. Because I just like I mean, look, I'm a media guy, right? That's my job to cover the team. I'm I, I gotta take my fan hat off in those moments, but it's like I like excellence. I want to cover excellence. I want to cover a program that demands excellence from itself. But when you're, when your guy on top's not the demand of that of himself, you know, you can't, you can't expect everybody else to do it. And I have a feeling Marcus Freeman is going to, because of everything he said from the moment he got hired is, is he's embraced Notre Dame in a way that Brian Kelly never did in the last 12 months, he's embraced Notre Dame and all that comes with it. And I've talked, you remember when I had Oscar on, I mean, Oscar would say Lou Holtz would use those things like academics and all that as a, as a, like, no one's going to be as tough as you because they don't have to go to like he'd use it as like a, a motivating thing. Yeah, you're better because of this. Where Brian, I I remember when they lost to, to Stanford in 2017, and Brian Kelly kept talking. Well, you know, you know that they're really tired and they've got a lot going on, and then we've had to travel a lot. And I I got two coaches called me the next day. They're like, man, this is why we freaking keep getting our ass kicked because he keeps making excuses for this team. Yes, and it's does. just like you you know it's like you give them that out, they're going to take it. Well, coach said it's understandable. No, it's not. And that's what, because I don't see Marcus Freeman doing that. Like, it'll be like, hey, look, you know what? I, we had we had finals this week, and I did a bad job of, of juggling the things that we needed to do to win. That's all me. That's right. It's going to be fixed. And, that and, and it's okay to do that. Yeah, he, he knows what he what he needs to, to say at the right times because he was in those shoes. You know, I don't think Brian Kelly's ever made a tackle like Marcus Freeman. So when you're approaching – and addressing the team, it has to be in the mindset of how the team would feel and your response as the coach. And I think he's been able to play both sides really well because I know the team wanted him to say those things like we're going for it, you know, and, and to hear that is refreshing in the locker room. 
he knows that as a player and then as a head coach, he's ready for that challenge. So is there anybody else you would like to put on the petty train this week? Does it have to be for something that they've said? No, said, done. Can what I up? put the leadership of my, at the University of Miami on the petty train? Oh, that's a good one. You're, you're going to sit there and tell a coach like, hey, <laughs> yeah. we're going we're gonna to offer this guy. But if he says no, don't worry. You still right. have a job. Right. Part of me wants to feel bad for Manny Diaz. And then I remember what he did to Temple. Yeah. You know, and then I'm like, okay, yeah, all right. Yeah. What comes around goes around. I'm gonna <laughs> say this, man. I, I think that that that, that the biz, college football's always been a business, but it's getting bad. Yeah, and you're firing coaches in the middle of the year. You, you yeah. have coaches just up and leaving. Like Mario Cristobal's, you know, at the press conference today for the bowl game, and then he may take a job. I mean, there's just so many. He just said the other day, like, if there's something to report, I'll report it. It's just like just stop lying. Just, just say, stop hey, look, y'all. We're here to talk about the football game we're about to play. I, I'm not I'm not addressing those things right now. Don't give me some BS. You know, and, and that's one thing I'll give Brian Kelly credit for. And and this when he was asked about the USC job a week or two ago, he didn't say, I got my dream job, I'm not going anywhere. He said, Hey, look, if somebody, if the fairy godmother, you know, wants to offer me 250 million dollars, <laughs> right. the most honest thing he ever said, you offer me enough money, I'm out. <laughs> I mean. The hey, most truthful thing he ever said. Yeah, he's going to tell again. Yeah, they talking right. I'm not going to tell It's not about anything. It's about getting the money. This is the crazy thing about Crystal Ball. If it were, if he's extremely loyal to Miami and wants to be the head coach of Miami, but he refuses to take the job until the administration changes certain things. Mm -hmm. Good on him. If, if and and that is the problem. Like if if it was just up to him, and like his former teammates, he would have been in Miami. Mm -hmm. But they all know that the football program is where it's at because of the direction of the athletic director and the administration. Because he'd be set up to fail. Yes, essentially. Yes. Yes. So despite his love for Miami, he refuses to go back, and they refuse to change. So. I don't see him going back. I see him staying yeah. in Oregon. Well, and the other thing that hurts him too is you still you can't do what Howard Schnellenberger and Jimmy Johnson did, which is just say we're just going to make it the state of Miami. I mean, the world's changed since then. Kids yeah. are more willing to leave. You know, kids yeah. are more willing to go somewhere else. In fact, now some kids may be more willing because it's like I need to get away from this place. Yeah. And and yeah. Uh, you know, and and schools have all advanced so much, but Miami's still kind of. You know, they're trying to be Northwestern. They're trying to be Stanford. And instead of saying, hey, you can be the you and still care about – like they should be trying to be – if they want to do anything, be like Notre Dame, yeah. right? Like if you want to be an academic institution that's great at football, you know, mimic Notre Dame, which means we're going to have great academic support and do all these kind of things, but we're also going to give these kids an opportunity to be successful on and off the football field. We're going to demand excellence. We're going to put – you know, they're doing at Miami what Notre Dame did in the 90s. Right in the 2000s, before Jack Swarbrick, and, and yeah. you know, hey, look, we're just going to rely on our tradition, and and you know, we're an academic school. We can't, we can't. Jack Swarbrick said, "F that noise. I'm gonna go raise a billion dollars to to and do the stadium and new turf and the new indoor facility, the new Goog, and because we're still a football school that has great academics. I mean, I'm the athletics director, not you know the the provost, right? And do you know how much much this institution? So Notre Dame says, "Well, you got to raise the money." So Jack's like, "Bet, got it," yeah. and and they went and did it. And, and that's the thing is, you you can. There's no nothing that says 
you can't value having an institution that cares about higher learning, and you can't also be great at, at, at football. And That's you have too many schools like Stanford and too many schools like Miami that think those two things are in constant con, you know, conflict, conflict, right? Yeah. And this is why I think the combination of Jack Swarbrick and Marcus, Mike, Marcus Freeman could be deadly because you have two guys unwilling to accept the, the, what everybody else tells them about what Notre Dame can and can't be. And Jack Swarbrick's been fighting with a coach who was unwilling to meet that standard. Now he's got one. And if he can hang around for three, four more years, I'm excited to see. And, I, you know, here's the thing, because we've heard rumblings about how Jack may be retiring soon. You guys know how it is. Sometimes you feel like, you know, I'm done with this. And then you kind of you make a hire. We're like, man, it's fun going to work again. Yeah, I love who knows. Maybe, it, you know, maybe it energizes Jack to say this guy makes my job a lot easier. It's a whole lot easier to raise money when <laughs> – when well, I got Marcus beside me, yeah. or there's an energy because the program had just gotten a little stale. There's almost like a, yeah, it's going well, but something's going to happen around the corner. We're going to lose to somebody. Cam Hart referred to it as repetitive. Yeah. It was repetitive right. in the building every day. It can be a business from a, a certain standpoint, but at the end of the day, when it comes to the things that involve football, it can't be a business. It yeah. still has to be about – the relationships. It still has to be about the energy. It still has to be about the plan. And and that's what I think Marcus Freeman needs to understand about this job. Yeah. You have to understand and embrace because Notre Dame football is a big business. Yeah. You have to understand that and you have to embrace that. He also has to have what I think Brian Kelly, Brian Kelly got that part. He has to embrace the other part. And I think this is going to come more natural for Marcus than it did Brian, which is, but to be successful on the field, it still has to be about the relationships. It has to be about passion. It has to be about energy and how you can maintain that energy throughout throughout the entire process, which means everybody you hire has to understand that. I mean, what? and we talked about this, Sean. I don't care if it's your the people that clean your offices. I don't care if it's secretaries. I don't care if it's the people serving food. Like there's going to be an there's got to be an expectation of excellence in everything you do. You walk into the locker room and there's shoes and clothes. Mm -mm, no, sir. That's not how we do this. And do you know how much money we spend on this locker room? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like we're going to be great at everything we do because you cannot allow 18, 19 to 20 year olds to think they can turn the switch on and off. Right. You can't. It's got to be about we're setting a standard in everything you do. And now you don't go, you know, it's it. it's not the army, but it's about, you know, we're, but it's about you set that standard. Then you don't have to keep checking on that anymore because right. it just becomes a part of who you are right and i think if you can if you can balance those two things that to me is what is needed for someone to take notre dame to that next level is understanding those two things my brother have you been hiding something from us what are you talking about well omar austin says brian's dirty secret man see omar down here starting some problems now okay he called me a republican earlier that's strike one okay and I keep telling him I'm a, I'm a conservative. I'm not a Republican. There is a difference. And then he's going to come down here and say, I want Quinn Ewers. Omar, you know darn well. You've listened to my show long enough. I wouldn't touch that kid with a 10-foot pole. Yeah, he okay? just got a hard pass. Tech A&M uh, quarterback coach potentially fired just to go there, right? Just so he can hire his, his head coach. Man, he can go wherever he wants as long as it's not Notre Dame. I'm glad our L.A. See, we got to check in from L.A. I got Nolan Sanchez. I hope you're not on the uh, – well, I think – no, this is not the same, Nolan. My apologies. Nolan Sanchez 
ND probably beats OK State 38-17. That'd be impressive because you score 38 on that defense. That's that's a good day's work. That's that's definitely. Yeah. That's impressive. a good day's work. Let's see. Rex Mikes. Right now I'm saying ND 28, OK State 20. I'm liking that one a little bit more. As long as it's OK State scoring last, like at the end of the game, I'd be a little disappointed if they scored 20 on this defense. Yeah, I think, uh, was it Spencer Sanders? He's giving up. He's giving us the ball on some occasion. Yes. Oh, Spencer Sanders, he's awful. And before you came on, we were kind of teasing the game, and I was watching what Aranda did to him, which is confuse him. Make him think. Hit him and make him think. And hit him and make him think. And I'm like, yo, Notre Dame can definitely do what Baylor did. Oh, 100%. Yeah. He reminds me a lot of Felipe Franks. Yes. You know, if he's he's in the pocket and he's comfortable and he doesn't have Mm -hmm. to do – he's going to do some things. But, you know, but whenever Felipe got in a situation and he is athletic and a big arm, but if you started hitting him and mixing up coverage and all that stuff, he's going to throw you the ball three times. I mean, it's just – that's going to happen. That's going to happen. This might be the Cam Hart game. He might get him a couple. I'd be okay with that. Not a lot of teams have thrown at him the last seven, eight games. They just – that's all good. We don't need to go over there. Some people question, if you have a son, what are you cooking for a coach coming in for an in-house visit? If I had a son, what am I – well, see, I'm, I I love cooking pasta, right? So I And I have an Italian wife. So if I had a son, he'd be half Italian. And yeah. and so I would probably – I'd probably do that. Or what I would probably try to do is try to talk to his secretary and find out what the coach likes and and make that. I mean, you know, so that – I mean, imagine what a coach said, hey, well, look, I found out that this is one of your favorites. I mean, my kid's going to be his favorite player now. I mean, you know, it's just all about the business, baby. That's what you got to do. Game, yes. You know, but if it was just up to me, I, you know, I'll probably make like a lasagna and just, you know, maybe have, a, you know, some stuff like that. I, I like cooking pasta, so I, I make it pretty good. Hey, look, I cook Italian food and my Italian wife likes it, so I think I know. Right. And, yeah, she, yeah. and she's from New York, so, I mean, I think I – I think I can yeah, – doing the right thing. Oh, you got to a New Yorker? She's from Long Island. So here you say that's funny is she moved to San Diego when she was like four or five. She had to go to speech therapy because no one can understand her because she had really? such a strong New York accent. I mean, her. let's just say there were dudes with no necks at her grandfather's funeral. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, so she had such a thick New York accent that they had to spend because no one could understand her. She, you know, like they had to spend her to speech therapy so she could talk normal for the people in San Diego. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So. I want to talk to you about, we already, look, if you watch Lucky Lefty Podcast or Irish Breakdown, I'd say you, you know, your interview with Marcus Freeman, you were the first one to really expose the changes and the mindset he was bringing into the building and the people he brought with him as well to expand what was already there from a recruiting standpoint and what he wanted to establish. Now, his word that he has used multiple times is we're going to expand or enhance what's already here. And you talk about recruiting perception-wise. Is it big? Or how do you think people will try to twist it or will they try to twist it? The fact that he gave Tommy the responsibility to be on the teleconference for the bowl game while he was out recruiting. I think it's a great perception. Okay. This is just a, first of all, it's I trust Tommy. Because here's the thing is we only ever saw Brian Kelly, right? right. Like we only all ever saw Brian Kelly and the players. We, we never got to talk to Tommy. We never got to talk to Marcus. We never get to hear from Mike Elston. We never – I don't still don't know if we've heard from Mike Mickens. And, and to me, it's like, hey, 
it's not just me, right? We're all on this thing together, right? So, so Tommy, you you go handle this. You know, you're a Notre Dame guy. You're a quarterback. Yeah. You've been in these things before. I got some recruits I got to go get. It's like, they, it, it, and you know, it, it's a smart move because like they did that today. When you, if you watch the 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 playoff show or the the bowl show, they're talking about well, Dave Rand is not here because he's not recruiting. They don't have a party at Baylor because it's like we're not in a playoff and he's out recruiting. And I think that's a great message for Marcus Freeman, especially imagine whoever the recruit is that he's going to see. Hey, you know, I'm this is my first game and, and this is my first press conference talking about my first game and I'm not there. Why? Because this is more important. Imagine that a head coach who thought it was more important to do his job than it was to get in front of a camera. I'm yeah. not pointing fingers or anything. I'm just saying that, big, you know, it's, it's, it's nice. Already. But you talk about the difference, Sean. The difference is it's it's going to require a complete shift. I, I I've always felt this. You know, we were kind of talking the other day about about the 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 things people say about Notre Dame, the conference. So, so the problem Notre Dame fans constantly make is they accept the premise of the engagement. You accept the premise of the thirteenth data point and try to argue. And I just say just re, re, just turn it on its head. So when Danny Cannell says Notre Dame should schedule BYU this week, and I say no, they shouldn't do that. They should schedule Southwest Missouri State and Mercer and Prairie View, and, and I just listed all the FCS teams that they played. Right. You don't even engage it with them. And and the thing that Lou Holtz was so great about is Lou Holtz didn't fight against the perception of Notre Dame. He destroyed the perception of Notre Dame where you had nothing to say. And that's what I think Marcus Freeman needs to do is don't try to in 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 when you fail at Notre Dame as a recruiter, it's when you try to explain away what teams are saying about you. So when your yeah. kid comes says to you, you know, I hear it's really hard academically. Heck yeah, it's hard academically, but we have all these things and you come here and if you can make it here and we know you can, here's what you're going to do. Look, Todd Light made X amount of dollars in the NFL and he used that money when he was done because he got a degree from Notre Dame and he used that money to then turn it into even more money because he had a business degree from the University of Notre Dame, and now he's got even more money than he made in the NFL, right? He's not right. a gym teacher because he went to some other school I won't name and did got no education, had no idea how to handle his money, gave all his money to his agent, his his posse, his crew, his 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 family, and all these people around him. No, this guy knew how to handle his money because why? Because he was sitting in classes every day with future agents, future CEOs, future this, future that, and and, and you embrace it. You yeah, say, heck yeah, yeah it's tougher because nothing worth having is it should come easy. That's right. And I think that's what Marcus Freeman needs to do is when people say, hey, coach, I hear it's cold up there. Yeah, it's cold up here. You know where else is cold? Green Bay, Buffalo, Chicago, Denver. You know what I mean? Like, so unless you are going to be able to try to dictate you can only play in the NFL in the South, you know, here's right. nothing. Hey, hey, kid, we only are in the cold for three hours a, a week. It's on Saturday. And two of our, our last game of the year every year is in California. So I mean it doesn't get cold till November anyway. I mean, so just don't even don't even try to, you know, oh well, you know, I mean, yeah. It's like they were afraid to 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 embrace what because if you're embracing the the, the negative perceptions about you, right, and all they have left is there's not enough cute girls, there's not <laughs> enough black kids on campus, it's too, you know, then, then those things are gonna get crushed because those are easy. Right. You, you know what I mean? Those are easy to knock out of the park because it's like, hey, did they tell you what their percentage is of those? You know, because people don't don't talk about that. Right. Yeah. And so to me, that's what it needs to do is, is stop it. Stop engaging them on their Because if I engage you on an argument on your terms, I've already lost. Already lost. It's amazing that you talk about that. And, you know, the first thing he's done. 
going back to when he arrived. And I'd encourage everybody to go check out the conversation that he did have with Brian Driscoll on Irish Breakdown because it was very eye-opening. The way he spoke about Notre Dame, he spoke about Notre Dame as a head coach, as a, as an assistant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't speak like an assistant that was worried about what he was going to say. He was like, no, he spoke so glowingly of Notre Dame, almost like he played at Notre Dame. And we talk about it. Ultimately, they're teachers, they're coaches, they're businessmen, because they have to understand the business side, but they're also salesmen as yeah. recruiters. And a salesman is only as good as what he believes in his product. If you don't believe in your product, there's no way you're going to be able to sell it to kids. That's and right. Marcus Freeman immediately got it when he got here. And he knew what he had to sell was something totally different that no other Alabama, Georgia, or any kind of big-time school could sell. Yeah, Alabama can give you an avenue to the NFL. They can give you an avenue to the college football playoff. But what can they do for you after that? Can they assure that you're going to make more money off the field than you'll ever make on the field? You're muted, bro. Oh, Brian, yeah. you're muted. I say you're turning it around on them. Yeah. That's what you're doing. It's like, hey, you know, you want to go to the NFL? Cool. Mm -hmm. We had one fewer guy in the drafted last year than Georgia and Alabama or right. Georgia and, you know, whatever. And that's cool. You, you want a chance to play for championship? Well, hey, you come here and we're already in the playoff. You come here and then we're going to win a championship, right? But here's yeah. the thing. Here's the thing, my man. The the difference in, in what we can offer you in football is a whole lot narrower than what they can offer you academically. That's true. You know what I mean? And so you 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 turn it on them. That's what great salesmen do. Oh, yeah. they, they're going to say this is bad about us. Hey, I hate to break it to you, partner, but that's not bad about us. That's actually what makes us better than them. Exactly. Because if they're saying something negative about us, it's because it's coming from their insecurities. Because I'm not going to say something bad about them. I think that's a great day. They, they're doing a great job. But you know what? They're not. They're not us. And and look, I said us. something on our show. Uh, cup was we were talking about ESPN, Sean. You remember when I said this? I said they hate us because they ain't us. That's and if right. the head coach at Notre Dame embraces that mentality and says, hey, nobody else is looking out for us. And we're going to embrace this thing because we are special. We are unique. And that's the thing about Lou Holtz. You see how fired up Lou Holtz was talking about Brian Kelly? Because Lou Holtz still, after 30-some years, still has that fire about Notre Dame. Brian yeah. Kelly never had it. And I he feel like Marcus place. Freeman has embraced that. Like the, he has yeah. a – and this place is special. It's like what he said about recruiting. is like, no, we're going to go find kids that may not be your typical Notre Dame guy and, and make them realize that they actually are. But they got to get here to become that, and we're going to give them the tools to become that. Yeah, and yes, that's the thing that fires me up. All right, so 15 practices, right? Thank you for everybody that's joined us tonight. Probably going to give you about another 15 minutes. Brian's been working all day. Going to let him get some rest. Let him get some rest because we have another. We, I'm sure both of us will be having podcasts tomorrow. After the press conference, the I, was press gonna, I was going to ask you to come on mine and before you guys do yours. Oh, then I'm there. We're going to be hot with all the hot You takes. already know. We're there. I'm ready Let's make it, it a show. We'll come up. We'll do mine first. We'll talk together, and then we'll all three go Switch to over. yours. Let's do it. That's Let's the end. That's what it is. Tomorrow. We're, we're, we're now switching over to ESPN2. <laughs> 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 so here's a question. Hmm. 15 practices for both of you guys, right? 15 practices. Which unit 
but Notre Dame improves the most. When they show up on January 1st at the Fiesta Bowl, which unit will we will we be watching saying, man, is this the same unit? Might be the linebackers. I think we'll have a lot more just it just be a lot more energy from that linebacking core. Okay. They'll be there'll be a lot more side to side this game. I think against a Big 12 team, you gotta fly around, you gotta chase small, fast guys. And I think the linebackers will be important in this game. And uh, I think Drew White will see another level. I think he'll he'll lead the charge and then uh the rest of the guys will follow behind that. Hmm. You know, part of me wants to say the D-line because I think they're going to be playing a team that's going to be getting all the hype about how good their D-line is. But it's hard for me to say they're going to be improved. When you've been carrying the team all season, I can't really say you're going to be improved. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go with the receivers. I'm going to just double down. I'm going to – you know me, Sean. I'm going to double down. I I just – I feel like this group, you know, now that this is Tommy Reese's unit, that Mm -hmm. it's there's no there's there's no more Malik. What we talk about this summer, right? One of the problems is there's too many voices, right? One voice now, it's one voice now, and and so I'm just gonna kind of go out on a limb, and I think that group's gonna step up because I think some of those guys are still kind of thinking, am I gonna go pro? Am I gonna come back? And then when you kind of got that, like, well, let me go show out, and and then and then they can tell me what they think of me, and so. I think we're going to see that because they've been kind of slowly crescendoing. Oh yeah, and I and I feel like this is the game where they just kind of break out. So that's the group I'm going to go with. All right, I've got a question for you, Brian. Eighty-two slice says, does Brian think that the offense will look much different, more dynamic in a bowl game, or is there not enough time to expect we will see anything much different? Well, number one, we were asked this on our show earlier today too. Tommy Reese played for Brian Kelly and coached under Brian Kelly. He's not going to come in here and just bring in the air raid the next right. 15 games, right? right. They come, what he's going to do is he's going to modernize what he, they already believe in. It's, it's, it's like with any, I mean, if I'm a West coast guy in 1995 and I'm a West coast guy in 2021, I'm still a West coast guy. It's just going to look a lot different than it did in 1995. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that was the issue with Brian Kelly is I'm You don't need to be air raid. You don't need to be spread. You can be pro style, but modernize it based on what teams are doing defensively, what the personnel is, what your personnel is. So I think we'll see a bit of a modernization like we've already seen. But look, 15 practices, the first few are going to be, Malik, you've been in bowl games. There's going to be practices are like, hey, we got to get some reps for these young kids and you know, all those kind of things. So you're not, you you can't just come out there and, and just throw a brand new offense and, and hope the kids can pick it up in 15 practice. That's what the spring is for. That's what the winter workouts are for. That's what the summer is for. This is about, this is who we are in 2021. And we're going to just make sure that just like they did the midpoint is what are some things tendency wise, maybe we're going to do some different things formationally because we're finding out that when we're running inside zone, we're too dominant with our tight end play side or backside, or, you know, when we're in 12 or 11 personnel, we're run heavy this way. When we go bunch, we're just doing this all the time, you know, so there's going to be some tweaks there, but it's going to be more of a normal game planning and preparation with extra time, as opposed to let's use these 15 practices to reinvent ourselves. It's just about continuing to build on what they do because Tommy Reese is not going to change the offense. He's going to enhance the offense. And so this is just a building block to the game to win the game because you got to win this game because yeah. all the momentum and all the energy we're talking about changes if Oklahoma State goes out there and kicks Notre Dame's butt, right? Yeah, you got to win the game. We definitely right. Yeah. 
And then you build on what you're doing in the winter and in the spring and then in summer workouts and all that kind of stuff. So I don't think it's going to look like, oh, my gosh, they're running 87 plays. Now, what I if you see new wrinkles, it's not because Brian Kelly left and he'd never let me do this. It's like this is what I think we need to do to beat Oklahoma State. Yeah, this is what we need to do to break some tendencies that we've had formationally or motion wise or or call wise, things like that. And that's going to be the key, because one of the issues I had about Notre Dame and, and I love Mike Denbrock. I think Mike Denbrock was a great coach, great person, all that. But his run game sometimes got real like I could see how the tight end and the running back were aligned and have a pretty good idea what they were going to do out of that. Yeah. You know, and, and you've got to make sure that you, you're, you're breaking those. That's what the extra time to me is for is not so much that we're running new plays. It's just we're running the same stuff out of different looks that's going to not have them prepared how to cover it. And I think those are the things that we'll see differently in this one. Absolutely. Matt D, offensive line for him is the unit he thinks is going to look different. Notre Dame, Noah Sanchez, yes. Two-point favorite right now. Take that. Buy that early. Jump on that right now. Two yeah. points. That's it. Jump on that right now. Uh, you talked about the wide receiving core and, and doubling down. We both were critical, both shows, of Kevin Austin and his inconsistency. And maybe we were unfair, and I say for this reason, because this was really his first full season of being a starter and being expected to be the guy. And once again, that goes back to the ineffectiveness of Brian Kelly to get his youngsters on the field, to get them reps and get them used to being. And he was hurt last year with injuries that, you know. Because he was supposed to be one of the main guys last year before he got hurt. So we've also been critical of Dale Alexander as the wide receiver Mm -hmm. coach. Mm -hmm. What has clicked? For Kevin Austin, well, I mean, one could say they're not really playing anybody. But what is clicked for Kevin Austin? Well, I I think part of it is the experience thing. And you say, were we unfair? No, because you can understand why something is happening and still not expect it. Mm -hmm. Still not uh, accept it. Excuse me. And we knew why Kevin was inconsistent, but it doesn't mean that you, you know, you can't bring him into the room and say, hey, Kevin, man, it's all good that you didn't play well this weekend. We understand you're not experienced. Yeah. No, it's, hey, man, I need you to play better, right? And it yeah. wasn't that he wasn't just playing well. It was that he was just kind of quitting because he didn't he didn't he have answers. Quitting. Yeah, he was quitting on routes. And, and because he wasn't taught. It's, it's like you're at a seven-on-seven seven thing and the guy's just getting, you don't have, I don't have, I don't know what to do. Like, I have no answers because yeah. he wasn't given the arsenal. I think what has happened is a few things. Number one is Kevin's pride as a football player in that I got to get better. If I don't, if I don't want to keep getting embarrassed like this, and you you got to dig deep and say I'm, I'm gonna get better. If coach can't teach it to me, I'm gonna teach it myself. Right? I think part of it is Dell got embarrassed a little bit as a coach because his guys were getting embarrassed, and he said, "Hey, we're gonna have to work on some." I mean, Dell Alexander's ever like never heard of a press release before. It's not like he's never heard of a press release before. Right. But are you coaching it in a way that's getting them to be able to go execute? proper press releases that's the difference you know and and he understands stem leverage top ends all that stuff but you can understand it as a coach but if you're not teaching in a way that your players can go do it on the field then it doesn't matter what you know and so i think that's part of it too and let's be honest they didn't play any cornerback groups like we saw early in the year they didn't after usc name me the good corners they played there there really weren't any 
But I also think as Kevin got more experience, he understood, okay, if this guy's going to play me this way, then I need to do this. If this guy's going to do that to me, because you don't know what you don't know until you get exploited for the fact that I don't know it. And then you fix it. And I actually am glad that Kevin went through those struggles because I don't know if Kevin's ever failed as a football player before he's failed in. I didn't handle my business off the field. He's had to deal with the adversity of injuries. Kevin's never failed at that guy kicked my butt Mm. on, on, on national TV and yeah. I think that is something that that we – how's he going to react to that? Because you guys know this. You guys have been around sports a long time. You learn something about a player when that happens because he's either going to fold or he's going to get real upset and be like, I'm never getting embarrassed like that again. And yeah. for Kevin, we've seen him he, We've seen him respond to the latter, right? The um, That's never going to happen to me again. Yeah. And, and I love that because that's part of the maturation process. And that's why I hope he comes back next year. Because if Kevin Austin comes back next year, he is going to explode on the national scene. Explode. Because teams yeah. are going to be so worried about covering Michael Mayer that you can't cover him and Kevin Austin unless yeah. you're just like, you know, you got Patrick Sertan and, you know. I think he's going to have a big game in a bowl game. I really do. Right. I really do because yeah. I, I saw Thornton and what he was able to do for Baylor. And look, shaping for him to be as comfortable as he was against that Oklahoma State defense, I can see Notre Dame putting up 34 points. Right. Oh, yeah. Against, against Oklahoma Because what was he really doing early, game. Sean? It was quick game. Get the ball out. Timing, rhythm. Get don't make this a don't make this a trench game. Yeah. Right? 15 years ago, you couldn't really do that. It was just gonna be a trench game. If you couldn't handle the trenches, the game has changed. And and yeah. that's what that's what was so frustrating is you were still trying to act like you had a great offensive line and a great offensive line coach. Yeah. In reality, you should have known, look, we 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 do have four new starters. Yeah. So guess what? Don't ask the ask them to play like last year's group, but you know they're gonna struggle. Do things to protect them. And they've done that the second half of the year, and it's a, it's resulted in success. So I mean that's the thing is I just I feel like this this offense is just slowly crescendoing and they're just gonna explode. I mean, the scheme is because it's it's you could just say, well, they did what they they outscored Stanford and Georgia Tech, two power five teams, hundred to fourteen. Yeah. And the fourteen kind of came after the game was no longer really in question. Right. That's right. And, and and yeah, they stink, but there aren't a whole lot of people that gonna, you know, hang a hundo on two power five teams and and you know combined in back to back weeks. And it wasn't the difference between this and what we've seen in the past. This wasn't just them out athleting people. It was them out out athleting people within a, a, a schematic framework that was getting guys open. Yeah. Yeah. And when that starts happening with the talent that Notre Dame has had for years, that's what makes me get excited about what this offense can be. Because then your offense, your offensive line doesn't have to pass protect for 18 seconds. Yeah. And you don't have to just manhandle people up front. It's about our athletes are better than your athletes. And I don't think Brian Kelly ever embraced that fact that our athletes are better than their athletes. And whenever he has, it's like the LSU game in 2014. He didn't even really do it then. But right. the scheme that they did, you know, you think about it. I mean, you had Malika quarterback, Ev coming off the bench. Yeah. You had Torian kind of being the hammer. And they kept hammering the, the line with Malik and Torian. And all of a sudden you run a jet sweep and, and they're thinking, you know, here comes right. Malik again, or here comes Torin again, and all of a sudden, CJ's out running him to the outside. You had Will catching tunnels. You had Chris Brown. You had Amir. And all of a sudden, you had CJ in the slot that year. And all of a sudden, it's like, man, these guys are beating us to the perimeter. LSU doesn't get beat to the perimeter. 
yeah. that doesn't happen to them. It, but it was finally like kind of saying, hey, let's just let our athletes go play. You know, you had the tunnel to will for a touchdown. I mean, I think Malik, I think something like like eight or nine of your completions that game were like within five yards of the line of scrimmage because it was just get the ball out and let the athletes go do something with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and look what happened. And and so that's the thing for me is this team has had athletes. They have more athletes. And even with all the injuries, this team is, still has a lot of dynamic. There aren't a lot of teams that have a, a Braden Lindsay. When Kevin Austin is arguably your fourth fastest offensive skill player, you, you, you're doing something. You got some things going on for you. You know what was beautiful? Because I expected that Oklahoma State, if they lost, might be one of our opponents mm-hmm. in a bowl game. And the way they schemed. Like all year, they've been a run team with Bohannon, that ramp, that battering ram of running back, and Bohannon, power running game, and then Thornton and the tall receivers down the field. They really never threw to the tight end a lot. Not a lot. They schemed open because they knew how aggressive and downhill the linebacks for OK State played. And the reason they can play downhill is because that front four has been that good all season long. They took advantage of that aggressiveness all day long. And then you notice the indecision started to creep in in the second quarter, and that's when they started to hammer the running game and keep them off balance like you talked about. Yo, I see Notre Dame and Tommy Reeves being able to do the exact same thing. Like, by the time we get to the second, third quarter, then you'll start to see Kyron having running room and being able to make hay against that front four and those linebackers because Michael Mayer has gotten in behind them early in the game and gotten big plays. Look, that's why I said run run to the window with that minus two. Like, I don't know who's been, I don't know who watched that game against Baylor, and I don't know who's been watching the last three games for Notre Dame. But Notre Dame's offense is a lot better than Baylor. Baylor Baylor missed opportunities and left points on the field. The game should have never been close, honestly. Baylor thoroughly outplayed Oklahoma State. First drive, Sean. Yeah. Right down the field. Right down the field. Like it was nothing. And like I said, for, for that front four to be so talked about, and they played well, Shapin wasn't rattled. And the one time he got hurt where his game started to slip is he scrambled for, I think, 17 yards. Yeah, he ran for a bit, yeah. Yeah, and and fell on his shoulder, and that's what got him out of his rhythm. Other than that – He got rattled after that. He got rattled after that, that, absolutely. That wasn't Oklahoma State necessarily doing that to him. No, not at all. Here's another question, Chase Ian. Both of you guys jump in on this. Heard Marcus call Brian Hartline, nothing more. Landing him seems like a long shot. Brian, Malik. If Dale goes, is there a wide receiver coach that Marcus should try to bring to ND, dream hire, and then realistic hire? So can I speak to the Heartline thing real quick first? Yeah, sure. So basically they were teammates at Ohio State. He did reach out. But the reality is, is in order to get a guy to leave Ohio State to come to Notre Dame, it can't be a lateral move. You can't just bring the receivers coach over from his alma mater to be the receivers coach. You'd have to yeah. give him a promotion. Right. Well, that's, that's not happening. You're, you're not, you're not going to – Tommy's the O.C., and you, he's the quarterback's coach. It's not like you have an O-line guy that's your, your, your offensive coordinator and you can bring in a guy to be your pass game coordinator. Your pass game coordinator's 
Tommy Reese. And so there just really wasn't that ability to give him the promote. I mean, you can't recruiting coordinators, not really a promotion. It's just something you use to give him more money and he can, I mean, he can handle the recruiting, but it's not a promotion the way that he would want it. So that's why that didn't really go anywhere. I think if there was that, if it, let's just say Tommy Reese would have picked the, this, you know, gone with Brian Kelly to LSU. I'm glad he didn't, but then I think maybe you could have seen them maybe swing something to get Brian Hartline. Cause he could have got a, pass game coordinator or some kind of thing going like that, but that's just not going to happen now. You got you, Malik, you want to answer the second part of that? Cause I, I have a dream hire and, and I, Sean, you know who it is. Yeah. But anybody you have in mind for wide receiver coach. See Malik muted himself. It's not just me. Did you mute yourself? Yeah, I muted myself. My bad. I, I don't really have a dream hire right now for receiver coach that I can think of at the top of my head. But I do think that that's, that's a critical part for us because that is a gap that we have from the Alabamas and Ohio States are those, those receiver coaches that make a difference like that. Because Bama's receivers are talented. Ohio State's receivers are talented. But if you watch them play – they play, they stem, they attack leverage, they know how to work open. They're not just really athletic. You watch Chase Claypool at Notre Dame, he was just better athletically than everyone. Like, yeah. He didn't know how to play. He didn't know how to play the game. No. And and that's why Miles is struggling in the NFL because Miles doesn't have the repertoire. To, he don't have the technique to play. Right. And the, in the NFL, they're not going to waste their time on that. I mean, it's right. not, you know, it's just unless you're like a freak, they're just not going to waste their time on that. And, yeah, and so so to me, I don't have – here's the thing I, I would encourage fans to understand. Yes, there's always, like, guys we may like and things like that, but there's a lot of good coaches out there. It's just about finding a guy that fits what you're trying to do as a program that will recruit hard and can coach. There's not, like, three guys, and if you don't get one of those three, it's not going to – Brian Hartline had never coached before he got to Ohio State. Yeah, He was a player, but he knows the game, right. and he can teach it. And so there's a lot of coaches out there. Now, I'll play the fun game of my dream hire. If I was Marcus Freeman and I'm Tommy Reese, I'm sitting down, I'm saying, look, we're going to call the New Orleans Saints. We're going to ask Curtis Johnson how much money it's going to cost him to leave the receiver's coach job for the Saints and come to Notre Dame. That is the guy – because it, my bias is that's the person who I studied coming up as a receiver's coach and pass game coordinator. When I watched what he did with Santana Moss and Reggie Wayne – it wasn't just they're great athletes. They were master technicians. Yeah. They weren't just great athletes. Santana and Reggie would embarrass you with their technique. Now, they were elite Hall of Fame type of college players because they were also elite athletes, but they knew how to play. And, yeah. and I always – I mean, because you can get real lazy as a coach when you have elite players. Yeah. Because you you know, but the guys that, that still demand excellence from a technique standpoint, and you look at what he's done with the Saints – I mean, just Michael Thomas comes out of nowhere, second-round pick, yeah. slow, and all of a sudden he's catching 150 balls a year, and he just knows how to play the game. To me, that's what I would do. I mean, that's my dream hire. Now, that's not going to happen, right? But you ask what my dream hire would be. That would be my dream hire. Plus, Curtis Johnson's been a head coach before. He was head coach of Tulane. You know, he's been at a, pro a program that, that had the demands of excellence. He was at the U when the U was, you know, in the 2000s when they were trying to – to come up and be the you. Like I said, he coached Santana Moss and Reggie Wayne and Andre yeah. Johnson, right? So he understands that part of it. He under, he's been a head coach, and I think there is a need on this staff for another veteran coach, especially if it's someone who's been a head coach, that can be another just, you know, ear, you know, person that Marcus can go to and say, hey, how, you know, 
how when you when you did you have these situations when you were head coach or when you've worked at Miami or when you've worked at the Saints? How did you guys handle this? I do think I like the youth movement Notre Dame is going with as a coaching staff, but at the same time, you also you can't. There's no substitute for experience. Down. Yeah, no yes, and that's why Tommy Reese brought in John McNulty. That that's who Tommy wanted was McNulty. That wasn't a BK hire. That was a Tommy hire, and BK let him have him because McNulty's an older guy. Tommy's worked with him. He's been an OC. And he can you can bounce some ideas off of them, right? And so that's why I kind of get excited of you know getting dream hire, uh, Curtis Johnson because he's kind of fits the mold of what I'm talking about. What and it doesn't have to be him. It could be a running backs coach. It can be a O line coach. It can be a whatever position. You just need another. It can be an analyst. I mean, you go hire David Cutcliffe to be an analyst. Yeah, and then you can bounce things off of him that way. But my point is, there just needs to be a little, just a, a little bit more. Uh, experience in some role, analyst, position coach, something that's just another another veteran voice that Marcus can turn to when you re- meet, get into those situations as a head coach. Like Brian Kelly didn't necessarily need that because he'd been a head coach for so long. He needed assistant right. coaches that would be willing to challenge him like, no, that's not what we should do. Right. No, we should not go for two when we're up 11 against Northwestern because being up 12 and being up 13 is no difference, right? I mean, we should kick the extra point, so they need three possessions to beat us unless they get two touchdowns. Right. But, you know, he, he, he didn't have that. So, you know, to me, that's the thing that I look at is just he's going to need at least one more person on the staff in some capacity that has the experience of, Hey, I've been in those situations and this is what I chose to do. And it didn't work. Yeah. Th- that, that can be a learning experience too. So that's, that's why I bring up Curtis Johnson. Cause he gives me the best of both worlds, phenomenal receivers coach. And he's been a head coach. He's been around a long time. He can kind of give you that, that veteran experience as well. And that's good for Tommy Reese as well. Yeah. Not just Marcus Freeman. You know what? He's done a great job because here in Chicago, people have been marveled by how he has like, been has helped the resurgence of Kevin White, former mm-hmm. first round pick, seventh overall, who was considered a bust for the Bears, and all of a sudden he lands in New Orleans, and all of a sudden, yo, the heck is going on? Kevin White is actually contributing, making t- plays, catching touchdowns. So, Curtis Johnson, man, I can second that. Obviously, I don't think he's leaving the Saints to come to Notre no, Dame, but no, I was no, asked no, dream no. hire, right? <laughs> I mean, that's my dream hire. Yeah, Cesar Pinalillo. <laughs> Good to see you guys. Even more when Brian's a guest. Big up. I'm very happy because my beloved soccer team from my childhood turned around the score in the last 10 minutes, avoiding regulation to second division. That's huge. I'm not a huge soccer fan, but – you know, from my high school days, I know about playing to not be, you know, sent to relegation. Because I know if you guys don't know this, like, it's two divisions in Chicago for high school basketball. You got the blue division and red division. Red division is like where all the top teams, Whitney Young, Morgan Park, Simeon, all the top teams play. And, you know, if you're in last place in the red division, you get sent down to the blue division, and whoever wins blue division comes up. The next year, so we've had games like the last game of the year, horrible season, but we got to win this game so we don't go down the blue division next year. Yeah, I know all about playing with relegation on the line. I never heard of that until I watched a couple episodes of Ted Lasso. Really? I yeah, I never. I I'm, I don't watch soccer. I watched somebody. Everybody kept telling me I need to watch Ted Lasso, and I was like, I have no interest in that. I don't really think Jason Sudeikis is all that funny. 
but I watched it and I thought it was actually pretty decent. I thought it was pretty good, right? Oh. But I never knew anything about relegation until I watched that. So and I still don't kind of understand it, but but I got it's a funny Hill, show. His surprise going back to the question, like which unit is gonna be the biggest surprise when they walk on the field on January first. He says Buckner. He thinks Buckner's execution and the he'll have more plays on his plate. Uh, that have not been called to do in the past. Reeves wanted to start Buckner the second half, so he has some things already designed for Buckner. Well, I mean, you know, I do think that Buckner at this point, especially with these 15 practices, should develop in, in some way of growing in the offense, going into a game, having a bigger package than usual, maybe some nuances that they've been developing just for this game specifically. But at this point for him, he just wants – I just want him to get out of this healthy and mm-hmm. at least at least some, some better yards that are encouraging enough to get him ready for the spring where that's, a, that's the time for him to start taking over. I think with Tyler, you could see him have a great jump in development not play snap, a meaningful snap against Baylor. I mean, it's yeah. it's the it's the practice work that could help because they may have a plan for him, but if Jack comes out and goes touchdown, touchdown, you may be like – yeah. We really want to take him out. And I think that's happened in the last few games. I mean, I, there have been times where I think they had a package for Tyler, but it's like, learn Jack, from your – Do his thing. And, and that's the mistake they made early in the season. It's yeah. like, you know, it's like the Cincinnati game. You know, Drew comes in, he throws two really nice balls, and then all of a sudden let's put – I mean, you know, there, there, there's got to be a method to them. I think the two QB offense can work if you do it right. I don't think they did it right early. I think oh, no. doing it right now, like you got your Tyler package, but if Jack's out there just ripping people – it's like when you got a shooter in basketball that's that's just just he can't miss. You don't take him out right. until he starts missing, right? It's the same thing with a quarterback. I mean, if a quarterback's out there just balling on people, shredding, he's he's in the groove, he's making reads, he's getting the ball out quick, his ball placement's money. He's you know he he just he's in that zone. You, I don't care what your game plan was to put somebody else in. No sir, you don't you don't take him out till you punt. That's right. So, man, elephant in the room, right? And then we'll close with expectations for the press conference from you both on tomorrow. Elephant in the room. It was a sure thing, surefire thing if we made the college football playoffs that a certain player would more than likely be in the lineup. Fiesta Bowl, still a New Year's Day 6. Malik, you've been open saying that even though preseason hype and everything and what he showed before the injury, you still feel like Cal has some things to prove and can prove some things if he plays. Do you think he plays in the Fiesta Bowl? I think he plays just because he has some Marcus Freeman influence behind it. Mm. Okay. Should he play? It's hard. It's hard to say, man. I think that he could go out there and improve a lot. I don't think he would lose as much as he could gain from this game. I think just for Kyle, man, he's missed so many weeks now with these 15 practices get leading up to it. I think getting back in rhythm for him to come back, this would be a uh, a last hurrah. I think it would look good for him to come back to show teams that. He still values the team and the team player even through injury. So, like I said, it can give him more benefit by coming back, but I don't think he would uh, be viewed differently if he didn't. So he's one of the few players that 
as as a total, he's done enough in his career for me to say, you ready, man. You don't owe us nothing, really. But I think in his heart of hearts, he wants to go out there one more time. I don't think he'll play. Um, I, I don't. I won't judge him any differently whether he does or doesn't. I would. Well, I'd probably judge him differently if he does, but I won't judge him negatively if he doesn't, because yeah. Yeah. because you know he he look. First of all, he was healthy enough to play at the end of the year, and he chose not to. Which okay, it is what it is. Um, that's a conversation we can have at another time. But I'm a person that believes if you have committed to your team and you play with your team, you see it through. This is a different situation because he already had an injury. He never right. came back from it, and he's just choosing not to play. He's just he he would be choosing to continue not to play, and not run the risk of injuring his himself even further. I don't think that he would. I do agree with Malik that there are some things he could prove positively by coming back. People say, well, you know, you come back, get hurt. Well, the kid from Washington a couple years ago tore his knee up, you know, during training, getting you know, during his pro day. Yeah, we've seen guys get hurt at the combine. I mean. You can get hurt doing anything other, you know, you can get hurt falling off your couch. Even if you're like, I'm just going to sit on my couch this whole time and not hurt myself. You can get hurt. You know, okay. Then don't shower. Cause you may slip in a shower. Right. I mean, yeah. you can always get hurt. It's just about, you've got, if you're going to do it, you've got to be a hundred percent sure that you're going to play. Cause if you go out there and you're not a hundred percent committed to playing, that's how you get hurt. And so, so if he's, if, if this is something he wants to do, like I'm all about the coach Freeman era, blah, 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 blah. I want to be a part of this then do it. But I'll bet you $100 that if he did go to Coach Freeman with that, I'll bet be willing to bet you that Marcus Freeman would say, I appreciate that. But, uh. <laughs> yeah, man, go ahead and get your money. Yeah, I think just to be in a Notre Dame guy, he'll probably want to play. But look, man, you, you've done enough. And I don't think any, like you said, there's, nobody's going to be mad at you if you don't. You know, this is not one of those – Oh, he's being selfish situations. Right. If he'd have played all 12 games and just said, you know what? Because here's my thing about that. Why is your future more important than mine as someone who's not a high draft pick? Like, you know, I got a shoulder injury. My back hurts. My knee hurts. I'm still going to play because we we started something and we're going to see it through. That's what I don't like. I don't like when guys just play the whole season and then just don't play in the bowl game because I'm going to protect myself. Like, oh, so so why can't – why can't why why can't Isaiah Foskey do that? Why can't Jason Adamiola do that? Why can't Kurt Heinisch do that? I mean, Kurt Heinisch can't afford. Actually, Kurt Heinisch can least can afford can afford an injury less than Kyle Hamilton could. Because yeah, if true. Kyle gets hurt, so, they're going to take a chance on him. Yeah, they if take Kurt Kyle. gets hurt, he he's he's not he's not going to do anything. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. it's kind of like I'm seeing it through. You see it through. The difference here is Kyle already got hurt. Yeah. That's the difference for me. Now you could say, well, he's healthy now. True, but. They played basically seven, five games without him it was because fine. he already was hurt. Yeah, and and so if I'm Coach Freeman, I'd say, hey, look, I, I love you for the fact that you want to be a part of this. If you want to be a part of this, let's find a role for you. But it's not to play now. If, if Kyle then comes back and he's adamant, then I'm I may sit down with his family and and <laughs> and have a conversation <laughs> with it. If he's real adamant about it, but my advice would be hey, to him, sure hey, right. I appreciate you, but. But no, you know, you got to look out for you. Then if he wants to continue, then maybe we might have a conversation about it. But my initial reaction, if I was Marcus Freeman, would be, hey, man, we appreciate you. Because the other thing, too, is they can beat Oklahoma State without Kyle Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah. And and to me, selfishly, as much as I love to see Kyle in another uniform again, I want to see Ramon and Xavier and DJ and Houston kind of get that shot to get ready for next year. Yeah. And so 
I think that I think it's best for everybody that Kyle just just graduates, just graduates. Yeah, just, just you protect yourself. Job. Be with us. Be at practice. I mean, it, there's a lot Kyle could get out of that. I mean, yeah. Malik, you remember when you were hurt? I mean, when you were sitting back at the at the at the practice and you're watching a seven on seven from ten feet behind where you normally watch a seven on seven, you're seeing stuff differently. Oh, okay, I I I, I see that. I can learn that. I mean, people joke about mental reps, but if you're doing mental reps correctly. You're going, you're going to better yourself. I mean, you know, let Kyle take a teaching role just to kind of have him engaged. Yeah. yeah. That's going to make him better because then you're starting to see it. You know, hey, Kyle, why don't you come into the coaches' meetings with us and watch yeah. how we put a game plan together? I mean, those are the kind of things that I think Kyle should be engaged in that could actually help him as a football player without putting him at risk of going out there and, and injuring himself further because there is that pre existing injury that you want to protect yourself against yo so dbz going back to that comp, the uh, question who's going to look different he says the safety group she oh that's right i'm sorry dbz is a she she always hits her up on hits us up on twitter my apologies dbz the safeties good call you i got your me. back doy don't even sweat I, it i got I, you i appreciate you man look here's a new nickname for you as we get ready to close malik that cat Malik Starks. That's right. I, I like that. AKA Malik Starks. I kind of like that. I might have to use that moving forward. You know? No doubt. No doubt. I like that, man. And I like even better that we got good things going, man. We're going to have a good show tomorrow, too. Absolutely. So don't forget, Brian put it out there. I don't know how long we're going to go on both channels, but we're going to start out on Irish Breakdown. I'm sure Brian will put the time. 2 p.m. is the press conference Eastern. Mm -hmm. So knowing Brian Driscoll, 3 o'clock Eastern is probably – Look, three, look. here's that. I got my quarterback right. You know, I got my producer. I'll be the OC. I'll kind of get everything – I'll get the practice schedule done. You know, we'll be set. We'll be all good. There we go. All good. And we're going to come out four wide tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're going tempo, baby. That, there's no doubt tempo. about that. No we're going to be aggressive. What's going to be tempo? You know, we're not holding anything back. You know, we're not playing. We're going to be. We're not going to be playing to lose tomorrow. No, it's coming. It's coming. All right. So, what are your expectations for the press conference? I expect. Do you expect a lot of former players to be lining the walls? Well, Brady Quinn's the host. Absolutely. I mean, that lets what does that say? Me. I mean, what does that say? Uh, I don't think we'll see a bunch of former players back. I mean, that's kind of a thing that got thrown together, and I don't think they need to be there to show their support. I mean, we're already yeah, seeing so. it with them tweeting and saying things publicly and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't, I don't know that they need to do that. If there's some guys that are somewhat nearby, sure. Uh, but to me, it, it's about Marcus. It's not about the former players. With all yeah. due respect, it's about Marcus, and I just want to see him continue to do what he's done. Be honest and be yourself and just show the passion for Notre Dame that so many people have been missing and 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 want to see. You know, I, I think when players have a guy that loves the school as much as as you know the fans and everybody else, man, you, you want to play for that guy, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you you know, the, the the love that Mike Dembrock has for Notre Dame compared to what Brian Kelly's love for Notre Dame was. I mean, it's different things. You want that guy that's got that passion, embrace Notre Dame. Uh, continue to do what you're doing. Hey, these are these are not these are not things we have to overcome. These are things that make us better than you, right? Like, don't yeah. be afraid to 
have that kind of mentality. Don't be as arrogant sounding as I am. You know, you hate us because they hate us because they ain't us. But but have that mentality in his sophisticated, well-spoken, head coachy kind of way, right? And that's what I want to see because he's so far he's been masterful at it, and I just want to see him continue to do it. Malibu. And then answer some questions. Are you calling plays next? I mean, those are some of the things I care more about, you know, than yeah. than some of the other stuff. Because I think he's already shown us all that. I, I want to know what's it going to look like. Are you calling plays next year? Who's your DC going to be? You know, oh, what's your coaching philosophy? How, how, you know, philosophy on coaching hires, that kind of stuff. So yeah, that was more. That was more the, teaching. Are you going to yeah. have the nine, the area code T-shirt on tomorrow? You know what? Dayton is always in the heart for us, so it's it's really important. I just want to see him up there at that podium with that nice little little emblem on his chest, man, just with the energy and the passion. You know, I wanted to be a vibe like how LeBron was at Miami, not one, not two, not three. You know, I really want some of that, but I also want to hear just his plan, man, with everything happening in the short term yeah. with a game that we still have to win and then just moving forward. It'll be good to see just how much he's thought through just breaking down the logistics of things about calling. Is, are, is he going to take on more of an aggressive play caller role, being the head coach, or who is his hires? I want to know these hires that's coming up too and just feel good that he's got the the man with the plan at the, at the back end of the energy and passion. Man, if he came out, did not one, not two, I would lose. <laughs> I'm like, what? That's that's where we're going. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. I can rock with that. Sean had come on the show later with like this big old bruise on his forehead. Hey, what happened, Sean? Man, I just you know, like yeah. I would absolutely. Malik will come on the show in shoulder pads and a jersey, like you know, stretching, getting ready. Like, all right, y'all, I got some eligibility. That's how it's gonna go. You know what I mean? Like, that's how it's gonna be. Man, needless to say. South Bend will have the eyes of the world rest upon it tomorrow at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. This has been the Lucky Lucky Podcast. We appreciate Brian Driscoll from Irish Breakdown joining us. As always, you can go check him out at irisbreakdown.com. Always get in tune with everything over there. And uh, follow him at CoachD178. Holidays are coming up, Brian. Any specials? Are you guys running anything special at Irish? We're already 50% cheaper than anybody else anyway. So (laughs) the special is you come with us, you're going to get phenomenal content. It's going to make your life better. That's the special. And here's the other thing is, and this is true no matter when you sign up, if you sign up for the message board, you can find it at boards.irishbreakdown.com. You sign up for a monthly membership, you get 10% off your entire purchase from the IB store. If you sign up for an annual membership, we give you 20% off your entire purchase from the IB store because not everybody's as lucky as Sean and Malik would be if he ever asked for it, where I'll, you know, I'll hook you up. Right. But, uh, but no, that, that's really it. It's just, we're, 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 we made it re, we already made it really cost effective anyway, because unlike some other places, I don't have to split my revenue with rivals or two, four, seven or on three, you know, so we're going to make it more, much more, much more affordable. And, if you get a special now and then it goes on your credit card in six months or a year, all of a sudden you get a higher rate. This yeah. is what it's going to be. So, yeah, Cesar signed up today. We've added over 200 people the last two years. So, yeah. right. um, and then my wife just got me my Christmas present. She bought me tickets to the Fiesta Bowl. So I'm all excited. Whoa. Man, that's yeah. awesome. Hey, tell Ange, tell Ange I'm a brother. Yes. I got an extra ticket. You know what I'm saying? Hey, so, hey. Yeah, we got to talk offline. 
Awesome. <laughs> hey, don't forget, we have featured and brought to you by Fashion Geek. You can go right here, Fashion Geek. Go to alonzojackson.com for all of that great streetwear, Chicago's best. We run the city, Fashion Geek, alonzojackson.com, and Honora Whiskey. Go to AnoraWhiskey.com. Where's your bottle, Malik? For that premium. Yeah, the bottom. You drink it all. You're going to see the bottom tomorrow. He's got the robot. <laughs> you know, it's been a good night, but you're going to see that bottle tomorrow for sure. <laughs> for that premium American whiskey, now you have a reason. Okay? And you have a full month to load up on your stock of a Nora whiskey to sip during the Fiesta Bowl. We're 50% off too now. So it's okay. To stack it up, stack it what's up. The, what's the special this month, Malik? We got a 50% off, man. We're going for the rest of the year. We really want y'all to enjoy this, what we're trying to bring out. And this is really good during the holiday season, man. You're going to make a lot of more uh, tighter family connections with this one. So uh, we'll get to the question. I see the question about Chip Long and Georgia Tech. I'm sure between two shows tomorrow, we'll touch on that and uh, get to it. Press conference tomorrow. Double duty, double header, lucky lefty, and Irish breakdown marathon. I'm not even gonna tell you how long we're going. It's just a marathon all day. All right. Subscribe, share, like, hit the notification bell. We're gonna go get some sleep so we can come right back. What's that? <laughs> yeah, straight up. I forgot what that was. Right. I went to bed last night when Angela was waking up. That's how this week is going for me. She said, Are you just going to bed? I'm like, yes. Yeah, we get to it. That's right. I love it. Oh, my wife. Thanks, guys. All right. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Yeah. Thanks for having me on.